You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 588. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at ABG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the fifth day of October, 2023. In today's episode, an update on the Euro A324 landing in Russia, an Aleutian IL-76 crashes in Mali, a Cessna 177 Cardinal crashes near Lake Placid, New York, killing a former NFL player and AOPA senior vice president. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 588 is ready for pushback. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. Joining me from across the pond in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAFRAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Uh, lovely to be back on as usual. And I noticed the British are making a takeover bid for the, your show tonight. I know. Sadly, you're right. All right. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have here? Looks like we have from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, A&P mechanic, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to be back with you guys uh, for a limited period this time, but uh, still looking forward to get... Uh, well, we're, we will take what we can get. So, welcome, Nick. And also joining us from, uh, let's see, I guess Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, to hosts of, uh, of the best aviation podcast ever. In the universe, it's oh, called Plane Talking UK. <laughs> we have Armando Carrion and Matt Smith. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Yay. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Liz. This is, this is unique. Let's, let's do some singing. Okay. That's enough of that. Uh, <laughs> let me turn that off. And last but certainly not least... From a place to stand, a place to grow, a place that usually has a lot of snow. Uh, she <laughs> is in Ontario, Canada. Our producer, director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. You too, Jeff. Stand by for news. 
First item in our news today is a uh, it's a video. It's live ATC audio uh, put with some video. And uh, probably the best thing to do is just uh, let's have a listen. This happened in Southern California. This is from Bass Aviation. Real aviation communications. And the METAR is here showing 1,500 overcast and uh, 70 degrees. Nice day, but, you know, overcast, guys. November 0, Lima Alpha, right turn at the shoreline approved. Wind 190 at 4, runway 21, cleared for takeoff. Okay, this is uh, Santa Monica Airport, and uh, I'm not sure of the full formal name of it, but uh, just north uh, up the shoreline from uh, uh, Los Angeles International, LAX. Silver Baker, runway 21, right turn short approved. We're going to left, left of the shoreline. Zero Lima Alpha, I'm kind of confused. Uh, what is your destination today? It's Kilo Delta Mike November. Which is Deming in, in um, I think it's New Mexico. Is that right, uh, Armando? Deming? Yep, Deming, okay. New Mexico. Zero, zero Lima Alpha, left downwind, departure approved, remain outside class, above airspace, runway 21, cleared for takeoff. Clear for takeoff, runway 21, left go first. Thank you. Okay, so he's taking off. Sirius Zero Lim Alpha, are you going to be going southbound over the top of LA Tower? Yes, yes, affirmative. Okay, Zero Lim Alpha, Roger, are you going to take the special flight rules corridor? Special flight rules, yeah, we're climbing to 11,500. Sirius Zero Lim Alpha, for the special flight rules corridor, typically aircraft will make a right 270, make a right turn at the shoreline to gain altitude over the Santa Monica VOR. Okay, we'll do we'll the right cross traffic to gain altitude and then to the shoreline. No. no. <laughs> That's not right. Nope. <laughs> um, okay, we're waiting for something to happen. Here's a zero limb alpha. I'm reporting a ceiling of 1,900 overcast. Are you going to be able to climb up for the special vital quarter? Yeah, we can climb to... Sirius <laughs> Zero Lima Alpha, the special flight rules corridor is 3,500, 3,500. Are you going to be able to get up to 3,500? 3,500, Zero Lima Alpha. November Zero Lima Alpha, there's a ceiling at 1,900 overcast. Are you going to be able to climb to 3,500? We can climb to 3,500, Zero Lima Alpha. November zero Lima Alpha, start your right turn now. Right turn, remain outside the class Bob airspace. Can you beg me to get outside the class Bravo? Zero Lima Alpha. November zero Lima Alpha, start a right turn now. Right turn, slide suggested heading at three zero zero. Slide suggested three zero zero. Zero Lima Alpha. November zero Lima Alpha, now continue the right turn. Continue the right turn. Zero Lima Alpha, turn right, fly suggested heading zero one zero. Zero one zero, zero Lima Alpha. Zero Lima Alpha, you can overfly the Santa Monica VOR and then fly outbound Santa Monica 132 radio for the special flight rules corridor. His head's exploding. We can fly the over the VOR Santa yeah. Monica. But can you give me a vector, please? <laughs> 
Have you got any message? I cannot give you vectors radio. through the corridor. Negative. Uh, are you familiar with the flightless corridor? No. Negative. <laughs> oh, idiot. Cirrus zero. We have Alpha Fly suggested heading of zero five zero. Zero five zero. Thank you. Zero November zero Lima. Maintain at or below four thousand five hundred. Are below four thousand five hundred. Zero Lima. Why am I not convinced that? Cirrus zero Lima Alpha Squadron yeah. two zero two five. Two zero two five. Zero Lima. Cirrus zero Lima Alpha contact SoCal approach one two four point six twenty four six. They can provide you vectors. 246, thank you, Sterling Mother. I mean, he keeps saying thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> he is polite. At the, the end of the yeah, video yeah. here, it says the aircraft continued to destination safely, so for, somehow. By some kind of strange miracle. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> so here's the uh, Los Angeles special flight rules area. Now, Armando or, or Camacho, have either of you... Uh, flown down in that area and in, in that uh, flight corridor or if not are you familiar with this i'm gonna i'm gonna punt to nick because i've, I've only been to la a couple of times it's always been under ifr uh, mm-hmm. rules which is challenging enough but yeah. uh before nick talks about it it took me about 30 seconds to find the uh procedures for the <laughs> la cifra and the mini route and the uh, shoreline routes and all that stuff. I don't think this person was super familiar with it, but uh, so I hand off to Mr. Can, well, can, can I ask a, 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 like a, this is the trouble. I'm the most underqualified person to be sat in this chair right now, to be fair. So it, can somebody explain to me what the special right flight rules are and why, why they exist? What's what, what's the purpose behind them? Well, Camacho uh, uh, explain to well, us what these special flight rules are. What's the purpose of this whole thing? Uh, yeah, so basically, you know, that area is a super congested area. Right. Uh, there's a ton of airports around there anyway, but especially, you know, just the amount of airplanes going in and out of um, Los Angeles. And if you look at that chart, right, they're pointed, uh, they have east-west runways. So the departure arrival corridor is fairly long. So if you're transiting the coast, there's not really a good way to go around it. So basically what they've done for small airplanes, what they've done is they've made this special procedure where you can fly right over the airport. And when I say like, I have done, I've done it a couple of times, but it's been years. It's probably been eight years since I've done it. Um, and when I say like, you, you, it feels like you're doing something wrong. You are flying right over LAX at 35 or 4,500 feet looking down. And there's just airliners going, uh, you know, both directions. And and what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to simplify um, transiting that area for like GA airplanes, VFR airplanes. But you have to be aware of the the rules, right? So it's like a basic procedure set forth by the FAA, but it is a procedure set forth by the FAA. It's kind of like a miniature version of trying to fly into Oshkosh without the notum. Mm-hmm. Like it Some works the, very well for anyone that's read the notum, but if you yeah. haven't read the notum, it's it's not very effective. So, yeah. so it's like a virtual corridor essentially to try mm-hmm. and make sure like safe passage. Yep. Yeah. So a CIFRA or a special flight rules area, probably the most famous one is the Washington DC 
one that's got very detailed procedures set up after 9-11. Um, but you have the the Grand Canyon and is, is another one that's uh, had a long-standing uh, CIFRA. And, and it's, again, because they're so popular, so congested, but without putting, um, I guess, restrictions to have, you need to be instrument cert, uh, qualified or the airplane needs to be. It's a it's an avenue for for general aviation aircraft and with almost any qualifications, you know, private pilot, because it's in the class Bravo, especially the LA one, to be able to navigate these congested areas by following a very specific set of left and right boundaries. Right. Another one is the Hudson River. Um, there's a VFR corridor. That's actually a CIFRA. Um, yep. And uh, and one that I used to go through a lot was uh, Eglin Air Force Base. That's got a, its own mm-hmm. CIFRA, right? And Jeff, you've been there a thousand times going into um, Valpy mm-hmm. and, uh, and Eglin Air Force Base, obviously under IFR. But Right, yeah. We're not using the special flight corridors because we're the people that these special flight corridors or special flight rules areas are trying to mm-hmm. keep away yeah, you know from us yeah yeah and it makes sense you know when you think about an airport especially a busy airport like los angeles international every, you know on one end you have all these airplanes coming in on their glide slopes into the runway to land and then also all these airplanes that are leaving the other direction so really the when you think about it one of the best places for traffic that needs to transit this area is uh, not on either side of the runways but right over the top of the airport unless mm-hmm. you're going to have a whole bunch of helicopters goes going straight up vertically that's the you know that's the best airspace to put all these people in however as armando mentioned and camacho there are some very very detailed rules here and you have to be prepared for this and it, the, you know initially he was going to make a left turn at the uh, at the shoreline if you're looking at this um depiction of the uh, LAX or Los Angeles special flight rules area, you hang a left and you're going to go right into uh, the departure traffic um, at LAX. And most of the time they're taking off to the west. And that's why he said, well, you need to make a right so you can get some altitude because it clearly states on the the procedure that 3,500 is the altitude you have to be at, like exactly 3,500 feet when you're in this corridor. And then the people coming in from the other direction are what, at 4,500? I think another yeah, another 1,000 feet above yep, going the opposite right. direction. And um, yeah, as, as as you all have said, this is something you got you got to know about this. And apparently – this person wasn't familiar that that was a procedure. He was just going to take off and just head straight to Deming, New Mexico, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, Super yeah. Fred Driver's got a good comment here, Jeff. Yeah, and a, and a Cirrus isn't exactly a slow airplane. <laughs> right, right. Uh, like Super Fred Driver said, uh, got to give credit to this controller for not losing it on this clearly unprepared international pilot and helping them out as calmly as possible. Exactly. I mean, he had extreme patience, I thought. I mean, I, I would have said yeah. – uh, uh, do you have any idea what you're doing here? Well, and he was uh, trying to, to articulate very clearly, too. He was good. Yeah, yeah. I oh, thought yeah. he was doing a grand job. But the other problem is this is uh, actually a VFR corridor. Uh, we heard the cloud base was 1,900 <laughs> yeah. feet. So he's going to be uh, in cloud above mm-hmm. 1,900 feet, and he's clearly not allowed to fly this corridor in cloud. You've got to be in visual flight, flight conditions. So True. I'm a bit worried about that as well. And then a little bit at the end confused me because uh, the, con- the tower controller, I presume that's who it was of uh, Santa Monica, climbed into four and a half. Uh, I presume that's with the agreement of SoCal um, to transit, which is actually the opposite 
directions height. So I was a bit confused. I about think that. I know what's going on here. I think that they finally decided, you know what? We don't need this guy to fly or use this corridor. We need right. to vector him around the entire area. So I think that's that last <laughs> heading was 050. Yeah. I really do mm -hmm. think that's what they mm -hmm. said. You know what? This guy doesn't know what the heck he's doing. Let's so we just need to vector him around and just put him <laughs> yeah. at 4,500 and that's going to be, you know, keep him out of the way of most people, I think. Not over the corridor. But you're right, Nick. I mean, this is, I mean, it just sounds so, like, dangerous is the only word I can think of. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> they're extremely lucky that, that something catastrophic didn't happen. Yeah. Now, uh, KFC make good winglets. I, I think they he's probably using that name uh, in our live <laughs> audience because it's just hard for me to say. Um, <laughs> but um, and don't ever uh, don't any of the rest of you get an, any ideas from that. Oh, I need mm -hmm. to come up with a name that's really difficult for Jeff to what, say. Like I hold boxes. Like I hold boxes. We're used to that one. Um, <laughs> Super Fred Driver. Um, Anyway, um, KFC make good winglets says in Australia they're they're called Victor roots, pretty much the same thing. Now we have Victor roots over here, which are are airways, uh, low yeah, altitude airways. airways up to uh, out of uh, up to and not quite into the positive uh, the Class A uh, airspace uh, above eighteen thousand feet. Is that what he, I mean? Is that the same? thing that he's talking about because this does not what we're talking about here the special flight rules area is completely different than a like an airway really um because an airway is kind um, of a, or an instrument um flight plan kind of thing and this is really a as as captain nick mentioned this is a a, a visual flight rules kind of thing these special flight rules over lax I, I would imagine that flying in this airspace you get used to this but we i mean there are a lot of things that are covered in your private pilot training um, T routes. So we have VFR flyways through class Bravos. There's all kinds of ways. It's not all kinds of ways. There's about half a dozen ways for a GA VFR pilot to navigate busy airspace. And um, I, I don't know that they're covered super in depth in most private pilot trainings, unless you're flying day in, day out in that airspace. But there are a lot of things to remember, you know, that are buried in the, in the regs and, and the flying handbooks on how to navigate this. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an easy procedure. You got to be familiar with it. And anytime you're flying in the, in the Los Angeles basin, I mean, you need to have a, a very basic level of understanding of what's happening with air traffic out there. It's very, it's like one of the busiest places for general aviation or all air traffic in, in the world, really. And this individual clearly had zero clue. <laughs> exactly. So there we go. Lesson learned. If you're going to fly in the area, know what the rules are. And uh, anyway, uh, we're going to go on to our next uh, story. And uh, that is, oh, an update. Yeah. So I was looking at the Aviation Herald, uh, avherald.com. And I noticed, you know, we had talked about this on a couple of previous shows, uh, the Ural uh, A320 that diverted out of uh, out of Omsk because they had a hydraulic failure, and they decided not to try to attempt a landing at Omsk and go ahead instead to the Novosibirsk. And uh, about not quite or a little more than halfway there, they ran out of fuel, and we were wondering uh, about you know was the gear extended or was it just the gear doors extended? Something was obviously causing a bigger fuel burn. And that was something that we 
didn't know for sure. And uh, there's an update on September 26. Uh, Rosa Viazia reported that uh, during the final approach to Omsk while extending the landing gear, there had been a green hydraulic failure prompting the crew to initiate a go-around. Okay, we knew that. The landing gear lever was placed into the up position, but the landing gear did not retract. According to FDR data, the failure of the gear retraction was not noticed by the crew. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't. Laugh. I know that's not something to laugh about, but it's like it's a nervous laugh, isn't it, Captain? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like what? Well, it's just like there are several ways of telling that your gear is up or down or or where it is. One of which is on the TV screens, and the other is a, a remote set of lights as well. So you've got two very easy um, checks to see if your gear's up or down, uh, but they obviously didn't use either of them. <laughs> well, apparently not. Why are we burning so much fuel? And why is yeah. it so noisy? <laughs> I mean, you've got to have a little bit of sympathy with the crew because they were dealing with a difficult situation. Now they've had a hydraulic failure. They've got to do a diversion. Uh, and the weather was brilliant. Um, so, you know, they've got a lot going on. Um, but, you know, it's a fairly basic thing to work out whether the gears come up or not. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's not so bad, right? They landed with 216 liters of fuel <laughs> remaining. Yeah, but not at they an airport. Right out. <laughs> yeah, so like but, a I mean, liter of fuel for each person on the airplane. Think about that, though. 200, so that's about, what, 57 gallons, something between 50 and 60 gallons of fuel. Uh, well, that's, that, that's when they, where they landed in, in that field with that right. amount of fuel, yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> I'm just going, <laughs> I don't think that forgives them. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to forgive them. I'm th oh, I was okay. trying to be, I was using a heavy dose of sarcasm there. All right. No, did, that's did, good. I, did I read somewhere, by the way, that they're planning to fly it out? Yes. Yeah. Just, I mean, just like, yesterday, I think there was another update that they're really <laughs> planning on flying that thing out. I, I, yeah. Which, I, I mean, is that going to work? <laughs> Well, yeah, they did it with that 737 that landed on a um, levee. Levee, that's right. Uh, Down here in New uh, Successfully, yeah, they successfully flew it out. Uh, they they'll they'll lighten it. But the levee was dry. They can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it was. Indeed, it was. Yeah. yeah well, it that's was really just gotta, forward yeah. thinking of them to land there with 57 gallons of fuel because now they're nice and light. Oh, to get out of point. Yeah, yeah, that must point. have been purposeful wow, then. Great planning. Good point. And all they've got to do is put a bit of duct tape on that fractured hose and they'll have the green hydraulics. <laughs> <Hi, laughs> fine. Be fine. Jeff, there's someone in the chat room that you'd, I'd like you to make a special welcome uh, to. Okay. <laughs> so, and it's not funny, and I, and I recognize the picture, Neil Landwarm. <laughs> Look what he did. <laughs> That's so. For those of you listening to the audio, we we see these uh, clowns in the uh, live chat room, <laughs> and I shouldn't have made the suggestion that they come up with very difficult. Oh, several people have done this. Yes. <laughs> it's not funny. They well, love actually, seeing you stumble, yeah, Jeff. It is a little bit. Though. It is actually funny, really. 
<laughs> okay. So uh, Oh, I don't we'll, think you want to say that one out loud. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, so look, how well, do we turn off how do we turn off the uh, chat room, Liz? How does that work? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll ban them. <laughs> I'll, I'll, Neil, bye, Neil. Yeah. yeah. Wield the spanner. Yeah, yeah where's, where's the spanner of death? <laughs> okay, well, that was very, very got funny. got a video coming up here, Jeff. Very, very funny. Oh, I have a video coming up. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, anything else to say about this one? Uh, so, I mean, that kind of clears up, uh, you know, that question that we had. Well, like, did, was the I gear hope they live up? stream it. Yeah. yeah. I hope they, they live stream the takeoff. Yeah. Live oh, yeah, stream me cool. too. I live stream of it and good luck, everyone. Well, you know, when they landed, it's not quite the same, but when they landed the Dreamlifter at a GA airport here in Wichita, there were people all around that airport when they took it off. I mean, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it closed one of the roadways. Yeah, closed one of the roadways. The fences were just packed with people. Wasn't there a C seventeen that landed at Albert Witted yep. Airport in Tampa, Tampa. instead right. of uh, <laughs> yeah. instead of uh, McDill Air Force Base? Mm-hmm. It was <laughs> a much much shorter runway, just like yeah. even worse than that uh, Dream uh, Lifter at the uh, Colonel Jabara Airport in yeah. mm-hmm. Wichita. All right. Uh, Let's see here. I think I'm ready with the video. Uh, Now, this is a a tragic um, crash of an Illusion IL-76 in Mali, and uh, they suffered an accident during landing at Gao International Airport in Mali. Uh, The aircraft touched down late on runway six left. Yeah, um, very late. You'll see in this uh, video here. Uh, and failed to stop on the re- remaining runway. It traveled another 380 meters past the end of the runway, crossing a perimeter road and went down an embankment. A fire erupted, while uh, which consumed a large part of the aircraft. And so this is, uh, as I said, kind of hard to watch because yeah, uh, it it's is. just uh, really pretty amazing footage here. So let's add that to the thing here. Okay, so it's floating, it's floating, it's floating. It's more than halfway down that long runway now. Touches down. And you just no brakes. And uh, it doesn't look like it's decelerating very quickly. I can't tell if uh, thrust reversers are out. I'm not sure what kind these engines have. Uh, I don't see any buckets or anything. And now it's over the in the overrun, in the in the dirt, and it's kicking up a dust tail storm. And then up. watch that tail. Okay. And now the airplane just goes down the embankment. And then, boom, it explodes. The fire, uh, the fire. Here's the fireball coming up there. Um, wow. Uh, that's one of those that I think in hindsight, uh, maybe a, a go around may have been a, a good idea, uh, to, uh, maybe make another approach and touch down on the part of the runway, you know, like the, the half of the runway they didn't use that was behind them. Uh, Liz, if you'll put up on, uh, the screen there, that's the, uh, uh, one of the pictures of the uh, accident site uh, from the uh, other other angle, the other view. And then uh, there's some Google uh, Earth uh, views of the runway. It's a very long runway. I can't read it. It's so cl- far away from me right here, but it's like 12,000 feet or something like that. I'm not sure. Or is it, it's a meters. Um, not sure exactly how long, but... Uh, so it's it's a long runway though. Uh, next one is shows where the airplane touched down approximately over there. More as I said, more than halfway uh, down the runway. And uh, I don't know why they thought that the airplane would have been able to stop in that distance. And of course, it did not. Yeah. Um, so this was a uh, so the Gao runway is eighty two hundred feet. 
it's a high density altitude kind of air. The air elevation is only 800 feet, but uh, obviously it's the edge of the Sahara. And this airplane was a Malian Air Force airplane. So there's not that many airports and military bases in Mali. So my guess this is complete conjecture is that these Air Force pilots had been to this airfield many times. I've been to Gao. Um, funny enough, it's about 500 miles northwest of the capital, Bamako. You fly over Timbuktu uh, to get to Gao. Really, Timbuktu? Um, yeah, no. You can you can actually, if, you, if your fuel planning isn't working out, uh, like that A320, um, you can always divert into Timbuktu. Uh, or if the weather doesn't support landing in Gao, uh, Timbuktu is no kidding, a, a viable alternate, but, um, with the temperatures there, but, it, but where I'm going with this is these guys have probably flown in there plenty of times. Um, so I'm actually going to give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt where I, we're going to never know because there was two fatalities, but, okay. um, Probably more. Yeah, that's right. There was two declared fatalities. This was actually carrying Malian troops as well as some Wagner Group uh, individuals. um, If you've read some of the post Mm -hmm. reports, yeah. But there, there must have been a reason. There must have been a reason why they continued that landing, unless it's just sheer, you know, lack of lapse in judgment or something. But I'm, I'm sure that they would have probably flown that IL-76 into that airfield many times. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really, this is kind of a, a question mark in my thought bubble as to why this happened. Because they would have known to go around if they were able to. Um, yeah, I, so that I means would, that if they touch down, if it's only 8,136 feet long, mm-hmm. they would have only had maybe a little something between three and 4,000 feet of runway available to them uh, after touchdown. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it just boggles my mind. I think all of us, like, why would they, why wouldn't they go around? Why did they touch down so far down? There mm-hmm. must've been something else going on in that airplane that we just don't know. Well, anything and, about. and also there appeared to be almost no attempt to bring the speed of the aircraft down. Mm-hmm. So as you say, whether that be from, you know, some kind of catastrophic failure or something like that. But I mean, there was no obvious attempt to bring like the yeah. speed of the aircraft down. I mean, it essentially it lost a bit of speed by the time it got to the end, but it essentially went down that embankment pretty much at the speed it arrived at the airport. Yeah, Captain Nick, I'm not sure if this was your experience flying into West Africa, but the runways are usually so covered in dirt and dust that you can you can tell when the thrust reversers deploy because it would create a cloud dust, and I didn't see that. In no, the, I, I did the, see some kick up that was pretty late on, uh, about mm-hmm. halfway through their landing roll, so it would only be about 1,500 feet before the end of the runway. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I didn't see uh, much in the way of smoke off the tires. Mind you, that's the whole point of, uh, uh, you know, um, automatic braking systems or or i don't know how sophisticated this illusion was though you don't normally lock tires up but uh, i'm a bit surprised we didn't see any smoke off the tires all right um super fred driver in our live audience says sad and unnecessary you could always go around we're making that assumption of course maybe there was a reason why they couldn't uh takeoff and landing data is everything in heavy jet land yes we agree yeah, he flies a, a very heavy jet, the uh, the big C five um, 
Super C5. I mean, if you're committed to land, the one thing you make damn sure is that you're set up well and you're not going to float and you don't allow the aeroplane to do exactly what this aeroplane appeared to do, which was mm. sitting ground effect for, you know, half the runway. Um, you know, you're, you're positive with your landing. You make sure that your angle of approach is correct um, because, you know, you just can't mess about if, if if you're committed to land. But I don't know if that was the case here. But certainly uh, I, I had the feeling that, you know, right up to the point at which they touched down, they could have gone, nah, don't like this going around uh, because they still have plenty of room to go around. Yeah. Mm. Look for some more updates. All right. Well, hopefully we'll hear something in uh, an update in the future um, to figure out what happened there because a lot of head scratching over here for sure. Uh, next item, uh, a large hole. This is, uh, by the way, simpleflying.com. A large hole ripped in Condor Airbus A330neo, which is, means it's a relatively new airplane, by Frankfurt Ground Handling Equipment. And uh, this is, uh, as I said, from simpleflying.com. Uh, Condor's newest Airbus A330neo Delta Alpha November Romeo Bravo has been grounded for repairs after it was damaged by a loading vehicle at the Frankfurt airport. No passengers were on board during the incident. No injuries reported among the crew. Uh, let's see. Having joined the carrier's fleet earlier this month, this uh, airframe will head to maintenance following a ground incident. Uh, an airport high-loading vehicle tore a hole in the fuselage while it was parked at the gate. The damage is reported by Aerotelegraph as above the aircraft's sensors close to the cargo door. Images shared on social media to display the sizable gash on the aircraft's fuselage. Frankfurt Airport has cited a technical defect as the most likely cause. I guess the the driver has a technical defect. They're the static ports that uh, it's. it's Neil Landmore knows why it happened. Is there anybody uh, else uh, craving a mint now, by the way? Well, I was going to say how much that the color scheme reminded me of the old German uh, disruptive camouflage that they put on (laughs) the zigzag camouflage they put on their battleships. uh, And uh, perhaps he just got confused and couldn't see the airplane. Uh, well, yes. Neil Landworm in our audience says perhaps the driver was offended by the god-awful livery. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it, this is a bit like Marmite. I quite like that livery. I think it's what? very distinctive. I like it. Uh, there you go. Okay, well. I mean, you, you don't miss it, do you? I mean, you're not going to go around and go, wonder which airline that is. Everyone's I could live the rest of my life without ever seeing that yeah, again, actually. <laughs> I wouldn't miss it a well, bit. Even if it was in pink, Jeff. Yeah, well, I don't know. I have to think about that. Um, All right, let's move on uh, to the next item. Uh, This is from the Aviation Herald. And uh, let's see, a KLM City Hopper Embraer ERJ190 registration Papa Hotel Echo Zulu Yankee performing flight 1822 from, uh, this happened two years ago, September 12th, 2021, uh, lined up on runway 25 right for departure via taxiway Lima 5 and commence takeoff, becoming airborne at about the displaced threshold runway 7 left. The aircraft continued to Amsterdam for a safe landing. On October 14, 2021, the Dutch uh, Safety Board uh, reported that they were, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to pronounce that one, uh, reported they were delegated the investigation into the occurrence by the German BFU. 
Uh, the DSB stated during takeoff from runway, runway 25 right of Berlin Airport, the aircraft departed from another position that the crew had entered into the aircraft system. Consequently, the available runway length was 1,320 meters less than calculated, and uh, that is about... Well, I don't know. We don't know the metric system here. Well, that's as American as ditching the metric system. Um, yeah, I was hoping I would get a laugh or two out of that one, but apparently <laughs> I was, I was trying to. There, try again. I was uh, muted. Okay, here we go. Well, that's as American as ditching the metric system. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know. Thank you. Uh, so I actually did some numbers here. The, the numbers in bold, I actually calculated. Um, ADSB data showed that the KLM Embraer usually line up at runway or taxiway Lima 7 and commence takeoff from the displaced threshold of 25 right, which provides 10,800 feet of available takeoff runway um, or takeoff run, TORA, and available accelerate stop distance available ASDA. After lining up via L5, the occurrence aircraft only had 6,500 feet available. So, uh, you know, a little over 4,000 feet uh, less uh, runway available for their takeoff run and accelerate and stop. Um, okay, on September 21st, uh, the DSB released their final report. Uh, let's see, concluding the probable cause of the serious incident were the Dutch Safety Board investigated the incident, found that the aircraft, okay, we just know that. They, we've kind of covered that, haven't we? Uh, they took off from yeah, intersection have, Lima yeah. 5, and calculation was based on intersection Kilo 5, uh, because both pilots, both pilots accidentally selected intersection Kilo 5 instead of Lima 5 in the takeoff performance calculation application. The selection error resulted in slower acceleration, leading to a hazardous situation in which the aircraft became airborne 443 meters before the end of the runway. Um, all right, so what do you guys think here? Another case of just not paying attention to detail here? Um, no cross-checking. Cross-checking. It looks like uh, they were both agreeing uh, to the bad data. I mean, my biggest issue in the, from the story is the way that meters has been spelt in the show notes there. Well, that's the Austrian <laughs> way of doing it, apparently. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm just a wee bit confused because yeah. uh, it actually says that aircraft took off from Lima 5. The performance calculation was based on Kilo 5, which uh, I where's Kilo 5? I can't see that. I oh. thought the performance was based on Lima 7. That's what I thought too, or that's where they usually uh, take off from. I think. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I'm a, I'm a wee bit confused. We as need to, to investigate the, the investigation. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a there's a. Uh, are we showing it right now? The uh, airport um, layout. Yeah, I, I, as you said, I don't know where Lima, uh, Kilo Five is. I see Lima Five and Lima Seven. Um, yeah. But anyway, it sounds like uh, they used um, the wrong performance figures, so uh, they should have had a uh, flex temp of 35 instead of 57, which was what they actually used, and they should have uh, had flaps 3 selected instead of the flaps 1 that they took off with. So basically, they didn't have enough engine thrust for the shortened distance they were using, and they didn't have enough flap. So... I'm surprised they made it off the end of the runway without leaving a few tire tracks in the dirt. Uh, there's no real indication of um, how they got away with it because with that amount of an error, you would have thought they would actually have 
could have gone off the end of the runway. I mean, there was a good 20 knots difference in their um, takeoff speeds as well. So, hmm. um, you know, that. Yeah, I just looked it up, and Kilo 5 is actually full length on the other side. Oh, well, that's um, a silly idea, so isn't it? Fancy runway, giving it the same number, yeah. just a different letter. Yeah, I it's mean, a it's across from Lima Seven there. Ah. Well, yeah, I I think that's that's illogical for me as a pilot. The you know Lima Seven and Kilo Seven should be co-located, not Lima Seven and Kilo Five, because that's an easy way to make a mistake, isn't it? Uh, anyway, maybe you've just discovered. Maybe you can save two years of <laughs> of investigation, and we can just replay what you just said to the yeah, to the DSB. <laughs> Give them a call, Nick. I'm yeah, sure I shall. Love your indeed. This investigation yeah. is a bunch of garbage. Yeah. Yes, indeed. It's a bunch of garbage. <laughs> Mind you, this is only a little Embraer, isn't it? I mean, uh, he should be able to get airborne in pretty uh, short uh, take runway lengths, shouldn't it? I well, mean, it's a 190, so it's one of the bigger ones. Um, yeah. What is it? 50 feet long, then. <sighs> we'll tell that to the Saab pilot that just upgraded to the little Embraer 190. Right. Oh, okay. Right. He's, he's he's probably thinking he's a bigger big airplane. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge he, airplane. Yeah, it, w- it would be for a little sub pilot. Yes. Nothing against sub pilots. Little those sub pilots. Well, let's don't talk about those sobs. Five foot one. <laughs> Five foot two, maybe. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. All right, let's move on. I'm tired of talking about that one. Um, let's uh, do this one from the Lake Placid News. Uh, let's see. Uh, is that the full thing? Lakeplacidnews.com. There we go. Uh, Tim Ran Van. No, Tim Van Ran even. <laughs> Don't laugh so hard, Liz. It's not that funny. Um, he sent this in to us and, uh, and that was funny. His, his focus was regarding the, uh, one of the people that were killed in, in this and, uh, and ah, yeah, not so much the other one, but I, I kind of changed the order of precedence in, uh, your, your note to us, Tim. Uh, let me just read the sad news to report the aircraft owners and pilots associations, uh, AOPA senior vice president, Richard McSpadden, a former United States air force Thunderbird commander has been killed in a plane crash along with Russ Francis, an outstanding tight end for the San Francisco 49ers of the past. Uh, Tim wants us to know that he attended all of the 49er home ga- No, yeah, uh, all of the uh, 49er home games at Candlestick Park, and Russ was a fan favorite. So it looks like he was not only beloved in uh, San Francisco, but also Russ Francis, the uh, football player of, pa- of the past, um, but he was also quite loved by the people in Lake Placid, uh, where he was uh, uh, had settled in and was living at the time, and I believe even ended up purchasing a uh, an airline, uh, Lake Placid Airways, formerly known as the uh, Adirondack Flying Service. They operate flight service at the Lake Placid Airport. Anyway, the only thing we know right now is it was a Cessna 177 Cardinal. And uh, that McSpadden, the AOP senior vice president, was in the right seat of the airplane at the time that the plane experienced an emergency after takeoff. Uh, quote, now we don't know how true all this is and who, who we're quoting here, um, but um, it looks like the airplane attempted to return to the airport but failed to make the runway. And the statement read, uh, both occupants lost their lives. Now, we were talking about before the show recording uh, that um, 
the uh, AOPA senior vice president and former uh, Thunderbirds commander um, was uh, Rick. Uh, what was his name again? Richard McFadden. Richard McFadden. Um, McFadden. McSpadden, excuse me, uh, what had something to do with uh, AOPA puts out a lot of great stuff. Um, safety, what would you call that, uh, Camacho, uh, the, the safety? Uh, um, the Aviation Safety, or the yeah. Aviation Safety Institute, right? Yeah, Aviation, aviation, safety, aviation safety Institute. And they have, and we had talked yeah. about it on the show, I think sometime last year, where they did a wonderful um, video and experimentation of, uh, we're talking about the impossible turn. Which is when you're in a situation in a single engine airplane and you take off and you lose power, and uh, if you're you know below a certain altitude or uh, beyond a certain distance from the airport, that you should probably not try to attempt to make a U-turn and come back and land at that same airport. Um, and they did a great job of of uh, comparing different types of airplanes. I think only one of the I forgot how many were used in their experiment. Only one of them was able to make it back uh, doing the impossible turn. And there's a reason why they call it the impossible turn. Now, we don't know what the details are here. We don't know really if they actually did attempt the impossible turn here at Lake Placid. We do know that that area is in the Adirondack Mountains, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of terrain, a lot of high terrain in the area. So um, maybe they didn't have any choice Um I'm not sure, um, but uh, any anybody here familiar with that um, area of the country, the Adirondacks and Lake Placid? Uh, I never flew. I used to be based at Griffiths, which is just south oh, of there. Okay. Yeah, um, but uh, I never flew into Lake Placid. I, um, I will say Richard McSpadden was. We had spoken with him. He was supposed to be on the show, uh, on our show. You know, we do the the kind of an interview based. Um, what he was doing for general aviation. And representing, you know, safety, really complicated and complex safety concepts uh, being translated into the general aviation pilot. Um, he was doing a great job at that. He's been he's been the uh, vice president and and the the chief of the the ASI for a, a while now, a couple of years. But the, his delivery method was really good. I've seen him speak a couple times, and we spoke on the phone a couple times about coming on our show. Um, uh, specifically we were talking about some of the Reno stuff that had happened last year and, um, you know, regardless of the, the facts of this accident, you know, both of these individuals were, uh, very, uh, accomplished, you know, and, and should be recognized for their, um, contributions to general aviation and the, their local communities too. Right? Yeah. You can see some of the terrain in the background of that photo there, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, and in the photo here of um, of Russ Francis, you can kind of see um, some of the terrain. Uh, I'm assuming that that's taken from the mm-hmm. Lake Placid Airport. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean the Adirondack Mountains. I mean that kind of says says a lot right there. Yeah, and if you look mountains. at, I don't know if we have a view. We probably should have had a view of uh, like a satellite view of the airport. But if you look at the airport, the airport's you know essentially cut out of a forest, right. Or the woods. Uh, so there's, there's not a, there's just not a lot of options. Um, if you have an issue low and like you said, we don't know, I don't really even think we know if they had a controls issue or an engine issue or there, you know, there's a lot of speculation. They had an engine issue because the trajectory of the airplane kind of looks like it was turning back to the runway. But, um, 
you know, if you, you look at where that airport is and um, there is a ton of trees and it's, you know, I think they were taken off uh, to the Northwest and there's a golf course, uh, you know, maybe three quarters of a mile or a mile to the North of the airport. And that's kind of like the, kind of like the best opportunity you have, but it sounds like they, you know, weren't even in a position that that was an option. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, you're right. We situation. just kind of automatically jump, you know, well, there must've been an engine issue, but you could, could have been anything could, as you mentioned, a control issue. Um, who knows? Uh, but it was something bad. An emergency was taking place there and they made an attempt mm-hmm. to return to the airport and, uh, it didn't make it sadly. And, uh, it's just a tragedy. Hopefully Lost. we'll yep. learn and, something you know, from that. Uh, Russ Francis is uh, obviously he's well known for being an NFL player, but he's, you know, a lot of times we hear about um, like people getting into like post-career hobbies. Obviously aviation is a big one because it's uh, so unforgiving, but you know, it's not uncommon to like read stories or hear opinions about people that can kind of like, outpace their um outpace their training or ability because they have uh you know the means financially or something uh and that's not the case with Russ Francis he was a really accomplished pilot for a really long time he was flying mustangs back in like the 80s and 90s so um you know this definitely wasn't the case of a a famous or popular person, um, you know, getting into aviation and getting themselves in a, in a situation that they couldn't, uh, necessarily handle. So mm-hmm. a great loss. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. And finally, last, last, but not last, least. but not least, uh, this is from a, uh, let's see, view from the wing.com. It's a, uh, a travel blog. Um, a Delta Airlines pilot saves a Broadway show, uh, makes the understudies dream come true. Now, of course, it wasn't just the pilot. It was uh, the entire crew uh, that was involved in this. Let me read you a little bit about this story. Pretty, pretty cool. Uh, Michaela Renfro uh, is an understudy for Disney's Aladdin on Broadway. She was heading home from vacation in Europe last week, and her Delta flight was delayed. That was going to be a problem because she was about to be given a chance to play Jasmine. She got a message while in flight. Michaela, please send an updated ETA when you can, the text read. I may need you for Jasmine tonight. She was looking at 5 p.m. landing at New York John F. Kennedy with immigration and customs ahead of her and a rush hour transit and didn't think she could get into makeup and costume for a 7 p.m. curtain time. (laughs) Yikes. But thanks to above and beyond efforts across Delta, chronicled by a video she made along the way, she got to play Princess Jasmine on Broadway after all. She asked a flight attendant if she might help get her off the plane first. Uh, so she, the flight attendant escalated matters to the pilot. She was moved up to a single available seat in first class at the front of the plane, which I assume was actually a business class seat being used for crew rest. The pilot asked for a close-in gate. And he got in touch with his airline, who arranged a blade helicopter transfer. The pilot explained that he was inspired by her living out her dream, and he just wanted to support her uh, how he could. 
after all that, the plane didn't have a gate. Oh, I've been talking about front. That would make me go through the roof. After all this coordination, they get in and, oh, sorry, we don't have a gate for you. Uh, anyway, I guess they found one. Uh, but a Delta employee met the aircraft, walked her through immiga- immigration formalities, and escorted her to her uh, awaiting helicopter. She was delayed at immigration along the way, but showed up a minute late for the Blade helicopter, uh, but uh, waiting to whisk her into the city. And she made it just in time to appear as Princess Jasmine. Yay! Happy ending. Oh, yeah, well, I'm I guess. Sorry. Yeah, we Je- to- uh, Jeff at Acme, have you? Ever had to arrange for a helicopter to pick up one of your passengers? I never have, ever. No, not as passengers, just when he's not late. A, not even for me. When he's late for his tea. I mean, come on. <laughs> does, church. If you land into Newark and you have a, a connection out of JFK, does does Acme provide a helicopter for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every single time. <laughs> no. Neil Landward's got a good comment, Jeff. <laughs> That's some above Neil. and beyond service from Delta Airlines. Yeah, it certainly sounds are, like it. Yeah. Um, I think there's uh, the, a reason those guys are at the top of the top of the food chain. Huh? Must be. Yeah. I'm so yeah. jealous. Uh, Neil Lamworm says, so if I want an expedited flight in business, I just need to play a Disney princess. Noted. <laughs> okay. And yeah. Good luck. Ex- I mean, I, I definitely give that a go. Uh, is, yeah. is Blade associated with uh, this airline somehow? Or is I that just I don't think independent? So. I don't think so. Okay. I think they're a separate company. Uh, they must have some kind of a agreement, maybe. I don't, for, don't know. Because I know, I know Delta has like section. their private jet section or whatever, right? Business. Yeah, I think I mean, that. Uh, but it's yeah, now Wings yeah. owns it. Um, I yeah. think it was something that was started by um, uh, Com Air. And then when Delta bought Com Air and took over, uh, okay. then it became they Delta Private that. Jets. And now it's, I think, uh, Wings or Wheels Up, okay. excuse me. Wheels Up, yeah. Which now became back to Delta. Oh, yeah. Because they just so bought con- it. So confusing. They sold, <laughs> yeah, that was Delta sold Delta Private Jets to Wheels Up high and then bought it back low when they were having their troubles last month, two months ago. Yeah, three, oh. two or three months ago, they Smart made a people. Yeah. Great investment by Delta Airlines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. I think okay. that's it. It's time now for the best part of the show. Unless we are doing a plain tale. But we're not. So that's the best part of this show. Darn it. <laughs> Getting to know us. Uh, which is the segment where we get uh, all caught up in what we have all been doing between shows. There we go. Look at that. We get to wear our, our funny hats. Um, the yeah. state of that, honestly. Isn't that nice? <laughs> okay. Um, so we're going to go, um, let's see, Camacho, you want to start first? Yeah. Sure. Uh, not much has changed for me. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on preparing an airplane to put an engine in it. Um, yeah. How, how far have you gotten on that? Uh, just still in the crate? Nope. Uh-uh. It's up on a stand. I probably should have put some pictures in the show notes. Next week, if I'm on next week, I will have a bunch of pictures. So okay. I got the uh, – I built a stand for the engine. I got the engine up on a stand. Um, I'm installing an aftermarket baffle kit. So basically the all the uh, <clears throat> the sheet metal system that directs all the airflow through the engine. Um, I'm installing all that on the uh, – 
on the engine right now, and that requires some rework to the airframe in the engine compartment area. So I'm kind of in the midst of all that and getting uh, getting all that work completed, and then the engine compartment all like cleaned up and decent looking since it's a good opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, so getting closer. I wish this I. Is- this is usually where Camacho and I completely nerd out. I mean, we could probably do <laughs> our own three show. hours. Yeah. Well, wait, I've let spent... me get the let me get the crickets sound here. There we go. I'm ready. <laughs> well, Nick talking about redoing the baffling on any engine. I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> get a remix, I, you yeah. know, I, I was actually thinking about doing a, a crew log on it because you know I did some super nerdy crew logs a couple of weeks ago and. Uh, <laughs> um. I was sitting out there thinking, ah, I should do a, a crew log on, on what's going on here. But I don't you know should. if anybody would. Yeah. It is it is way in the weeds. <laughs> oh, I mean, but look, there are crazy people out there that like that the kind of stuff. The deepest of deep dives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm raising my hand. I could, you know, what, Nick, I was uh, out there, what, a year and change ago when you had the, yeah. uh, which airplane was it that uh, was all the way down to the to the frame? Oh, our champ. Yeah. The champ, yeah. And I could just sit, you know, looking at the construction, he had the champ in the hangar and then the uh bonanza, yeah, bonanza was in the hangar and they were working yeah. on it, and then the Luscom was in there. So we just Unfortunately, the champ is still in that state. You just you <laughs> didn't make it out to the hangar last time you were here. So yeah. Hmm. But yeah, so making making progress there. I'm hoping sounds like there's a possibility I'll have a work trip towards the end of this month, but uh other than that, I'm hoping to uh get that wrapped up here in the next few weeks very cool very cool we're glad that you're you were able to make it on at least part of the show i know that uh, you're you're busy with your family and work and stuff so um if you can just hang around as long as you can and then uh yeah we'll bid you farewell yeah we do understand for sure all right uh, let's go to i'm going to save the the best for last which is these two knuckleheads down here that i'm pointing at Rude. um i know um <laughs> Uh, you know me. I'm rude. Uh, <laughs> Nick, what have you been up to, sir? Captain Nick. Oh, right. Hi, sir. Uh, I'm just back after having fixed my camera. But uh, um, uh, we had uh, our flu and COVID jabs, uh, our boosters yesterday. So a bit short, sore in both uh, arms. But uh, my poor wife, poor Jilly, uh, has been, you know, been in bed all day with... Uh, you know, flu-like symptoms and feeling very uncomfortable. So she she didn't react very well to that, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and uh, other than that, last week, not a great deal. Uh, this week, I've got um, county trials uh, on Saturday to see if I can play uh, in some county matches. Uh, and um, then lots of bowls next week. And nothing other than that very exciting. Certainly nothing when, aviation Nick, uh, Nick, wise. When, when does the when does the season end for for bowls? In this the this UK? one's just started. the uh, The outdoor season ended in September. Yeah, and uh, the indoor season took over almost uh, simultaneously. So we all moved indoors, which is what we're doing currently. Um, but the only uh, interesting thing coming up is uh, I'm heading off to Hamburg. Uh, towards the end of the month uh, to lecture uh, to the Royal Aeronautical Society uh, Hamburg branch. Uh, They're very kindly paying for me to fly over there and talk to them, 
which I will do on the 26th. Uh, I'm going to try and get out there on the 25th and meet up with uh, our great friend Stefan, uh, Stefan who uh, is our 380 driver. Uh, and uh, both um, Jeff and I have uh, met him and enjoyed his company. How much gin are you past. bringing back? Uh, yeah, he is our actually we'll, we'll most importantly our, our uh, gin supplier. Yes, <laughs> in, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yes, uh, I think I'll be bringing most of the gin home in my stomach there. Uh, um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> we we may well uh, have a, a sort of a, a meet up with any local. Uh, um, listeners who are around that area. Um, other problem that that's that's really it uh, for me. Uh, I'll let the the two uh, uh, garrulous ones in the bottom left hand corner carry on. Ah, okay. So literally, literally, last minute, like I don't know, five or ten minutes before we were about to start our show, we get this text. Hey, picture of these two knuckleheads together. Hey, you want us to be on your show? Yeah, sure. Why not? And I'm so glad I mean, you that could you could have said no. To be fair, you could have been forgiven. No, yeah. Could have, but you, you know, I wouldn't do that because this is an important thing. Now, uh, Matt, when was the last time? Matt again? Matt Smith. He's the guy that runs the video switcher and all the audio I'm board. Just the tech and, guy. I'm just and, the tech guy. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, does a marvelous job with the uh, PTUK uh, podcast, Plain Talking UK, and uh, and of course uh, visiting uh, a, a fellow co-host of the uh, of the show in in North Carolina. Uh, but how long has it been since you've been to the States, uh, Matt? So I was trying to think, because I think, I think Pittsburgh, if I remember correctly, was my first ever trip mm -hmm. to the U.S. And then New York after that. New York, myself and Owen went to New York, I want to say 2018, probably. And, year after and so Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think it was the yeah, yeah, it was. Yes, it was because I didn't have to redo my ESTA or anything like that. That was already done. Good. So, so yeah, so then it would have been, uh, yeah, so yeah, 2018 was the last time I came. That would have been November time, 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, we were going to a trade fair that um, for the company I was working for at the time. Five years. And uh, Owen joined us out there because the Irish can sell ice to Eskimos, essentially. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I had a, had sort of did that. So, yes, I came up to, came to see Armando, got here yesterday, didn't I? So, uh, yeah, caught the, uh, the nine o'clock flight out of uh, Heathrow and uh, yeah, arrived here at one thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> oh, how was the flight over? So it wasn't a, a, a seven five. So that was always going to be an advantage in, in my world. <laughs> um, it was a really nice flight. Actually, I was very lucky. I was in premium economy. I'll have you know, mm. uh, really, quite, re actually really quite nice. It's the first flight that I've ever done where I wasn't hanging on for dear life on the armrests and stuff. Because anybody who's listened to to me on um, plain talking, I'm not a good flyer. I've, in fact, you know, I've gone to extreme lengths to avoid flying anywhere. So um, always a big deal um, for me to sort of do something like that and, you know, sort of promise myself I was going to step out of comfort zones and stuff. Armando gave me an opportunity to... Uh, to come here and it's just been in fact well in fact actually since i've landed we've done nothing but fly so I, i'm fully intending on going home completely cured of any uh, <laughs> issue in terms of uh, you know nervousness and flying and stuff like that have but, you enjoyed uh, some american culinary uh, treats uh, since you've arrived 
Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, this this is going to sound terrible. My, my my underlying memory of most American food is everything is so sweet. I mean, you must all be diabetic. That's all I can think of. Well, I think it's, that's pretty true. I think. <laughs> yeah, fairly. I, think we're all I told them the top two ingredients in any in any ingredient list in America is neurotoxins and sugar. Yeah, <laughs> but wait a minute. No, so I, I I understand you've had barbecue and you've also been a Waffle House, but. Every time I go to Waffle House, I have bacon and eggs. I don't have anything that's sweet. You must have gotten the waffle with the syrup all, all over the top. No, 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 no. I didn't. I, I swear oh. the, the bread. The bread is so sweet. Like I, I guess in the UK because it's much more sort of savory. I mean, like like you know, two rounds of toast here in America seems to be like you know, it seems I like it's just it's like coated in sugar. I can't taste the bread through the butter at Waffle House. So. <laughs> that works. Yeah, actually, I mean, the, the, as I say, my first ever Waffle House experience, and I have to be honest. I mean, what was presented in front of me, it looked horrendous. There's no two ways about it. But <laughs> it is quite possibly the most delicious thing I've ever it's tasted. Really good stuff. It's so wrong and yet delicious. Yeah, so right. Like, <laughs> yeah, but Waffle, Waffle House is as much about the atmosphere. That's what I was explaining to him. Atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was explaining to him. Did everybody I have mean, all their I, teeth? Or um... yeah, I mean, I know. Uh, what was your answer? <laughs> um, it was also 9 a.m., so it was. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I explained not, to him the phases yeah. of Waffle House. Yeah, yeah there was not a there was only a couple of like blood pools on the floor left from presumably last night. Oh, okay. um, I hope, <laughs> unless they've been there a while. I don't know the. I don't know what their cleaning regime is, but uh, yeah. But if you walk into a clean Waffle House, do you have, that's suspect. Yeah, yeah you walk I would back. walk. I turn right back around and get out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah something's not right. And then we we had um, we went. Uh, so last night we went to. Uh, a roller skating rink, which was just <laughs> the most. Okay. Uh, as I, I feel like I've, I feel like I'm really experiencing like America. Uh, <laughs> the most. Hold on. The most what? Yeah. The well, just, just like the most American thing. I think <laughs> it's, it, it was. It was genuine. It was like I'd slipped into a time machine and gone back to 1981. <laughs> yeah. Um. It, with it, with the color scheme, the outfits, it was just like uh, just brilliant. Well, you know uh, that we do that at like every Friday night, all of us. Oh, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just incredible. Just brilliant. It's just like I, I'm it's just bringing back so many memories of when I was younger. I should stress okay. that I wasn't – I didn't go roller skating. I didn't really – I I, I've, uh, I invested quite heavily in travel insurance. I didn't really want to test it on the yeah. first night, I've got to be honest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was just like uh, – so that was so that was really nice to say. Did you take we were, him bowling uh, too, um, Armando? Oh, that's, no, that's on the itinerary. That's on the itinerary. That, Are you yeah. serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. I'm a sim. I'm a simple creature. That's all I could say. So we did that. So uh, and then we, as I say, we so uh, we went um, uh, flying today. Um, it, so um, I'll I'll let Armando explain because I don't want to say anything that that's wrong in terms of your work and things like that. I don't want to you know, <laughs> accidentally say so. I don't know what you call call them uh, with that. So we we went and did some private flying today. So the plane was it was a be- it was a maintenance repo. Yeah. Um, part 91 so our hawker as we say it here um, you pardon. yes or hawker. somebody told me about it's like a <laughs> orca like the whale the H orca, is not silent orca. <laughs> anyway, i'm gonna say hawker so the our hawker we have two of them in our flight department we did have a flight uh scheduled for today uh just a short out and back 
but um, we had a maintenance issue. So our other airplane from Alabama is is taking our mission for today. And we had to do a maintenance repo to the Textron Service Center, which is up in Greensboro. Literally a 17 minute flight. But I, yeah, I said, hey, Matt, you want to go fly, you know, take all your Instagram pictures and uh, yeah, yeah. you're going to get 17 minutes of flying in a private jet. And uh, he was up for it. So yeah, I, I I decided that after that one experience, I never want to fly commercial ever again. Yeah. <laughs> got a little, <laughs> got a little excitable. Got spoiled, I'm not yeah. gonna lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 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 it, the it's so quiet. That's the thing. I so I don't know. I, I naively thought that like smaller jets would be noisier, perhaps than what you're used to on the commercial, um, like commercial flights and stuff. In that, that's the thing that that. Other than like the road noise, if you like, or the runway noise, I should say, that was the same as I guess any aircraft when you're thundering down there at whatever speed. This it was like somebody to, when we got off the the tarmac, it was like somebody had flicked a switch, and it was just completely quiet. And that's that's you just didn't so tell cool. them about the noise cancelling headset, then Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I gave, I showed him where the bar was. He may have been a couple of drinks into it, so <laughs> could, have sleep, could have been yeah. asleep. <laughs> Seventeen uh, minutes? Yeah, he could have. Yeah, been yeah. yeah. Gin, gin and tonics at nine thousand yeah. feet are uh, just like yeah, it's the way. Yeah, we didn't. Forward, yeah. We didn't even hit ten thousand feet. It's such a short, short flight. <laughs> okay. Oh, Neil, Neil in that chat room is asking: smooth landing or pip landing? Oh, it wasn't a pit landing. We we only we only we only connected with the tarmac the once. So oh. it definitely wasn't a pit landing. Uh, it was. I and I'm I'm not. I am saying it because he's next to me. I am not joking. I didn't feel when we landed. It was only the roar that told me that we touched the tarmac. That's how smooth it was. Yeah, I believe crazy. it. I believe it. it really I've witnessed was. one of his landings in a tail dragger in that uh, super cruiser or whatever, cub yeah. cruiser. Yeah. What do you call it? I, I, I keep calling it the wrong cruiser, thing. Yeah. Super cruiser. Okay. Yeah. yeah very nice job. That was he, good. He's got, the, he got, he's, he has mad skills. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah honestly. But it was, uh, what was interesting from my perspective was actually where, so that, that was the element, you know, this is the element of like, so we had to uh, transition the aircraft but although although like if you like Armando wasn't involved in that mission if you like which was to 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 get the person where they wanted to be still very much involved in like the logistics mm -hmm. so that when they get so that when the person who has chartered this aircraft is arriving where they want to to be to make sure that the rental car has been picked up and dropped off to where it's supposed to i mean it's a completely yeah. different world to what any of us have probably ever experienced and so um like to, to sort of meet tony as well mm -hmm. um, as a as just a whole experience and and had a great chat in the car um about sort of like his career and the things that he's he he's been doing you definitely need to get him on the show at some point um, yeah the the goal <laughs> for us <laughs> the goal for us is that the the principal never knows that anything happened yeah um so all of the logistics of getting the second airplane getting it crewed getting up up to the correct place getting it up here getting the rental cars because now everything's shifted um we you know it's it's a full day's work for us but the goal is for them to never know that anything had changed or was wrong. The only, the only difference might be there's two different pilots up front, but uh, they were still on time. They're still going to show up. They're still, their rental vehicle is still going to be right plain side it, yeah. for them. So they will never know how much 
goes into hours of behind planning, the scenes yeah, hours of planning to yeah. trying to get play you know pilots where they're not supposed to be because the decision wasn't made till yesterday afternoon that an alternative was going to have to be sourced and stuff and it was it was as i say from, from a complete no somebody who knows nothing about the industry to actually see it like from the you know the the you know the I, I guess from the cockpit side it almost like planning uh, what's involved in what's you most people would think is a very you know simple task really fascinating uh, and then once we'd done that dropped off all the cars where they were supposed to be and all that kind of thing we then went to a, a barbecue house mm-hmm. back to the food obviously because I'm concerned <laughs> we haven't spoken about food for about seven minutes which is <laughs> quite absolutely um and i i'm it's the most tender uh ribs i've ever had in my entire life yeah the most uh just like uh the chicken was oh it was just like i gotta take you to this place jeff next time we're, we'll add it to your list okay good yeah uh so i fell uh, off a horse once my ribs were pretty tender <laughs> <laughs> see what hmm. you did there uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. So, did you go to a gun range or anything like that? Uh, is that something on the in the plans at all? Yeah, I think no? that's. That, I think. I mean, yeah. I, suppose, I mean, if I want the full American ex- experience, I, I feel like I need yeah. to go and shoot at something. You know, we, you we know usually do that right before we go or right after we go to the bowling alley and and oh, uh, Waffle okay. House. All right. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. and, and oh, maybe and to the bar roller skating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, after the bar, that's a great time to go shooting. Exactly. Oh yeah, right. Okay. I, I assumed. I, I assumed you combined that with way. visiting the Waffle House at two a.m. Is that is that like? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. yeah. Go to the bars to different go crowd. shooting a little bit, shoot <laughs> some cans, and then go to Waffle House. That's what we did. <laughs> All of us. <laughs> Yeehaw! Y'all. How do you think they open up those big tomato? cans and uh, you know house, right? you know actually related to that so the stereotypical american i'm actually taking matt with my family to the renaissance fair which is the most ironic thing in the world <laughs> the the carolina renaissance fair is, is oh man this weekend <laughs> oh, so, yeah, i heard I, you guys I, talking I, about I, that on your show yeah I, yeah i tried to describe like the best way to i said to because i said to armando like I, what is a renaissance fair? because i've I genuinely never heard of the term or, or or anything like that i said what is it his response was essentially it's about it's a thousand like mm-hmm. americans pretending to be british Mm-hmm. From the from the Middle Ages, <laughs> you're yeah. gonna just love that, Matt. <laughs> yeah, am I? Am I really? I mean, my no, mum got a bit carried no. away, bless her. My mum used it as so she's literally made me Full an authentic costume. 15th century oh, awesome. costume, oh, costume God. with hat and everything. So uh, wow, I can't you're gonna be the from- hit. I can't wait from somebody who's visiting from Camden, South Carolina to hear him talk I and go, oh, the accent's not that good. Yeah, no. kind of fake. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? We had a flight crew uh, witnesses. Uh, a, a mob hit at a oh. Waffle House. <laughs> oh, wow. <God. laughs> oh, my. I didn't That's know they had them up in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, have you guys ever noticed that there's a there's surprisingly uh, a lack of emergency exits out of a Waffle House? Hmm. Well, so they can contain oh, the ideal sp- yeah ideal yeah. place for a hit then. only one way in and yeah. one way can't yeah. escape can't run out. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying. absolutely just saying <laughs> never 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 noticed that or thought about it but now i will uh, indeed so i don't know what else is planned uh for while we're here uh i'd sort of asked uh, uh the, the only thing i have been assured is that there is going to be no skydiving that no is the sky- one thing i have been assured because it's well that's not that. what i heard oh good here we go just uh, kidding <laughs> 
Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so I, I don't know what else is what to say. I mean, it's been an incredible two days already. Um, so it's just been, and it's just, been, I, you know, I feel very, very honoured to uh, sort of, you know, come here and, and stay stay at Armando. It's just, it's, it's, I said when I got there, like, uh, got to the airport, it's just, I can't believe I'm here. It's utterly nuts that I'm here. There you go. Well, I'm sure he's uh, being uh, a, a wonderful host, as he always is. Absolutely. A great guy. And yeah. so are you, Matt. Um, so I'm hoping that you'll have a great time while you're here. So far, so good. All right. <laughs> what have I been um, up to, Liz? Well, oh, anything else about Armando? Oh, Armando. We didn't, we Armando didn't get did caught up. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll actually keep it super brief. I, yeah. um, he, you know, Matt pretty much covered everything. Tomorrow, I'm going to take him to a fly-in. It's a grass strip. Um, kind of show him the general aviation fly-in community. Um, and this is related to Nick Camacho, actually, because Nick was um, influential in me buying that super cruiser that you and I flew, Jeff. Um, the super cruiser is for sale. And uh, if anybody's interested, it's here in Concord, North Carolina. But we bought a biplane. Um, we bought a HATS CB1 uh, biplane. So on Monday, I'm going to take our 206 and then we're going to go. Uh, I'm going to take Matt up to the eastern shore of Virginia um, so I bought it last week and then we're getting some radios installed and ADSB because uh, it doesn't have anything in it. So I'm going to take him up there on Monday to go check it out. Am help. I going to be able to get in it? Let's say, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a well-proportioned gentleman. We'll, we'll be, uh, the 206 will be comfortable. Yeah, I'm never cold in winter. That's the way. Yeah. The 206 yeah. is, is nice and comfortable. Um, uh, Neil, yeah, it is an open cockpit biplane. It's uh, essentially a Waco um, that is about 90% scale of a Waco. Um, so we'll be flying around here, uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks with, uh, you know, open cockpit right in time for fall, the leaves are turning here oh, and, nice. uh, we're going to keep that airplane for a little bit. So anybody that anybody from the APG, uh, crew, anybody from APG, uh, if you're in the Charlotte area, just hit me up. I'm always looking for a reason to fly and, uh, we'll go up in the, in the biplane. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So can't wait. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm like Nick right now. I'm sitting on two and a half airplanes uh, and one of them has got to go. So I was going to say, you are starting to sound like me yeah. uh, and you need to, is now is your wife still flying, learning to fly? Um, flying? Yes and no. I'm actually pretty open about this on, on our show. Um, you know, because she was a, a mom and open about her uh, past experience um, with uh, postpartum depression and, you know, it's so, so common. Her FAA medical got deferred mm-hmm. um, and they are making it so difficult for her to even get a student pilot certificate that she's actually kind of lost the um, motivation yeah. to fly. So we've Which kind of, be a surprise, let's be honest. I mean, it's just... yeah, it's a nine month process um, after a deferral, an initial deferral, it's nine months for, her. this is for a student pilot certificate. Oh, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, we so talked a lot about do... the last couple of shows here. We've been talking about that, the whole FAA medical VA disability thing and how yeah. the whole system is so broken. And uh, this is another example of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually caught in that. We purposely did not talk about that on our show because I received VA disability and I got caught, not nothing illegal, right? But, um, mm-hmm. yeah just the paperwork drill of having to declare uh, to make sure that the documentation from your VA disability is now completely and and fully reflected, even for things that veterans are receiving 0% disability for, or items that were deferred, you know, right. Mm -hmm. We, you serve five, 10, 20 years, 
your body's broken after the military. You guys know this, right? Um, but uh, they are now, they, it's, it's a multi-million dollar effort on behalf of the FAA to compare their retic- uh, medical records with your VA disability records. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you haven't declared the, your um, arthritis in your right knee, that you had a lower back issue back in 2004, um, they want you to fix your FAA medical um, previously, those two things were not linked, and many people were mentored that they were not linked, and that you should yeah. keep all everything separate. Well, yeah. they are going into our records because, as civil servants, they have access to that, right? Mm-hmm. And and somewhere in the fine print, we've said you have access to that, and you can access my medical records. And um, some people with not disqualifying conditions are actually bit getting. Um, medicals deferred because their doctor just doesn't know their AME doesn't know what to do with it. And it's new and it's different. Mm-hmm. So people are losing their jobs. Like I'm a part 91 corporate pilot. If I were to tell my principal that I can't fly for four months because of a paperwork issue, um, he's going to find another pilot. Yeah. yeah. So lots of people are, are in our boats with, um, you know, yeah. and then now addressing the stigma of, of aviators having gone or not gone to their, flight docs and then post military careers. It's just a big old mess. It is. So, yeah, I think that was my frustration with that story is that, you know, everybody spun it like, um, the problem was that the pilots were trying to game the system. And man, I just, I feel like the real problem is that the FAA is so messed up in terms of the bureaucracy involved with their paperwork and how they manage medicals that it just makes anything impossible. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff associated with the FAA medicals that I, I feel like are broken and are 20 or 30 years out of date. And for some reason they can't get it fixed. Oh, hang on. Oh, uh, yes. This is uh, <laughs> captain Nielsen. Yeah. yeah. FAA. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll go ahead and uh, remove him from the show uh, right now. <laughs> hey, just remember how close you are to retirement. Also, veteran Jeff. Uh, yeah, I, I was gonna I'm, say I'm I, to go. I will take all the It it just doesn't, you know, doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. It, there, and it's you know like the, I feel like mental like there we have like a bow wave of change in how we approach mental health in our society and like everybody's moving the same direction except the FAA and they are not uh, modernizing it, it, their views or their approaches, which is a, it just, unfortunate. It just sounds like a, like a, 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 like a lack of understanding almost about the situation, isn't it? Because it's just, just because you, you know, if you, if anybody, if everybody was completely honest, then, you know, we've all had a history at some point in our lives of some form of depression or, or other, um, you know, and, and y- you find ways to manage these things, don't you? So that it doesn't have an impact on your life. And I, I can understand, I suppose, because there are there are examples, aren't there, of where it's gone to, you know, where somebody has made that that decision to go, you know, like to make the ultimate, you know, 
well sacrifice i suppose for want of a better word i mean there was i think it wasn't there that it was there was a somebody flew a plane into a like a mountain cycle yeah it's happened a couple times but yeah uh and all that kind of thing and and is it is their reaction to it to something like that the reason why perhaps it's almost like the legislation hasn't been thought through properly um just I guess to kind of wrap this up, there was another podcast. I I, I thought it was Pilots Discussion podcast from AOPA, but it, it might have been some a different one that had a former FAA uh, Surgeon General, so the the top medical officer officer in the FAA, and I believe he was the New York, not maybe not the New York Times. It was Washington Post article that said upwards of ten thousand pilots were um, lying on their medicals. Uh, five thousand was a number, not just yeah. shy of five thousand. So whittled that down. He yeah. explained those numbers, and he said the actual number is probably less than one hundred. Yeah, of, 60 of pilots. Something. Yeah, pilots that are that are have a potentially disqualifying condition that they are being less than truthful about. The number is less than one hundred, but however, the media was portraying that as thousands of pilots, um, and that's just simply not the case. So. Yep, true. That's the same thing we came up with as well. Or that's our our point of view, our perspective. Okay. Well, um, Sorry. what have you been up to Jeff? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> thank you for asking. I have uh, been doing my, uh, usual I'm singing. singing at, uh, my, uh, my, my parish, ah, uh, church. Whoa. And, uh, so that, that's, of course, you probably recognize that Matt. That's, uh, from the movie elf. Um, ah, and he's yes, in the department yes. store, you and know, he, and he's, he's singing. I'm singing. It sounded like a cat in terrible pain. <laughs> well, it does like, sound very similar, actually. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, that's what they say about Jeff, too, at church. Well, is it? Oh. oh. That, no, that, was that is not. Even I didn't go there. That was I a know. joke. You wanted to, Liz, but you didn't. I did. He stole my line. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, I can feel the love from all around. Anyway, yeah, peace um, and love. Peace and love. well, I, I, there was one person that I know for sure loves me, uh, or loves our show. Actually, uh, I met up with um, just a couple of days ago, and uh, I have some Aww. audio uh, for a little meetup that I had with uh, Gus at the Atlanta International Airport. I'm here at the Atlanta International Airport. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, Visiting one of our APG community members. You've heard from him before. It's been a while since we've heard uh, from him. Uh, Sent in feedback quite a number of years ago. We were talking about that earlier as we uh, shared a um, um, kind of an appetizer plate here at the airport. Um, But um, it's Gus. And how do you say your last name, Gus? Sayens. Gus from Argentina. Gus from Argentina. That's why we say that instead of trying to pronounce his last name. And uh, you'll, you'll remember Gus was the guy that uh, bought uh, an airplane up here, a Piper Arrow, and had it completely dismantled and sent via shipping container all the way to Argentina, Buenos Aires. And uh, that's where he resides. And uh, he comes here to the United States every every so often. And he contacted me and said, hey, going to be going through Atlanta uh, on uh, the 3rd of October. I think that's what day it is. And uh, so if you're around, uh, you know, let's get together. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And I said, okay. So here I am. And so now you're tired of hearing from me, I'm sure. I'm tired of hearing from myself. So I'm going to hand the microphone to Gus, and he's going to talk to you all. Hi, everyone. 
Hope you're doing great. So we are here with Captain Jeff at the airport. Uh, I'm coming back from a business trip to Florida. And on the way back, I thought it was a good idea to, to meet with, with Jeff, which is something that I was thinking about for many years. And we could make it happen today. So we had a nice chat. Uh, we had a really nice conversation with the with a lady sitting on the next table that uh, her son wanted to become a pilot. So that was was interesting. Um, and yeah, we, we've been sharing some, some stories of about our lives and having fun. Yeah, so it's been great meeting you, Jeff. Well, it's been great meeting you uh, in person as well, Gus. And I hope you have a great flight. Uh, it's going to be a long flight to uh, Argentina this evening. And, uh, oh, just a shout out, uh, to, I don't know if they're listening to the podcast yet or not, but if so, that perchance, um, Lacey and her son, Grayson, big shout out to you guys and, uh, welcome to the, uh, airline pilot guy show. And, uh, as, uh, Gus mentioned, uh, yeah, she kind of said, I hate to kind of like, I'm not really eavesdropping. Of course, you know, you know me, I have a kind of a loud voice and. You can hear me from across the room that we were talking all kinds of aviation-related things, and she said her son is 12 years old and is really into aviation. And so uh, she said, uh, you know, she starts, she struck up a conversation with us. And so, anyway, if you're listening, Lacey and Grayson, um, hello from APG and Gus. Again, so nice to meet you in person. Uh, you're a great guy, like all of our audience, and uh, hope to see you again soon. Yeah, hope to see you again. And bye to everybody. Say something in uh, Spanish. Spanish, okay. Gracias a todos. Saludos. Sounds good to me. I'm not sure what he said, but anyway. Oh, uh, say in Spanish back to you in the studio, Jeff. Eh, vamos contigo en el estudio, Jeff. There you go. That was a great uh, meetup with Gus. And, you know, I talked about my, my loud mouth in the... Um, in the cafe there, and I kept hearing um, stuff in the background. Shut up, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. Shut, shut, up. Up. shut up, Jeff. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how they knew my name, but yeah. Anyway, so uh, Gus is with us in the live audience, and uh, thank you again for the uh, the nice treat of the coffee and the uh, hummus uh, spread or plate or whatever you call it, And uh, but it was uh, really nice, and it was really the tables were like right next to each other. So maybe uh, a foot, 18 inches spacing. And this lady, uh, young lady either. sitting next to Yeah. She couldn't help, but overhear our conversation about flying. And, and, uh, she said she was just thrilled because her 12 year old, uh, is really into flying, wants to be a pilot. And, uh, so maybe we have a new, uh, audience member. Um, so, um, and if so, um, if he's uh, listening, uh, should send us some feedback and tell us about uh, what what you want to do with your life. That's be interesting, I think, to all of us. All right, and that's pretty much it. Captain Nick want to talk about last week's cover art. Oh, I think that Captain Nick might want to do that. Might you? Sir? I can. I can talk about the cover art. Okay. Uh, yes, we uh, we had a seven thirty seven. I think. Uh, skidded off the runway when his undercarriage collapsed uh, after landing. And, uh, of course, for an accident to happen, 
as you know, it's the Funyun effect. Those Funyuns have to line up. So uh, we decided that it must have been Funyuns that caused this particular issue. So we've got a collapsed undercarriage, and you can tell why it's collapsed. It hasn't got wheels. It's got Funyuns on the undercarriage instead. Um, and we also had a story about uh, a pair of, I don't know if you carried did this after I left the show, uh, but uh, a pair of um, um, elderly folk who had a problem with getting their stuff into overhead um, and compartments in the cabin. Well, I decided that during the evacuation, they probably would have had no trouble getting their luggage out. So uh, that's them on the wing. Um, and uh, what's the oh yes, sex in the toilet. <laughs> so uh, if you if you pass that look carefully at the windows, you'll spot the toilet window because there's a scantily clad young lady there. And that was about it. Um, if you want to try and find the uh, show number, uh, yeah. did you f find it, Jeff? Uh, I did not, and I, I did, did look. And uh, let me uh, see if I can get a, something I can zoom in on, and then you can kind of uh, kind no, of direct us to where to. Uh, well, I to would, look. except I've forgotten where I stuck it. Oh, no. Great, <laughs> Liz. Can you remember? I can't. I didn't find it. Oh damn! Uh, well, let's have a hunt round. I'm I'm going to bring the picture up because. Uh, okay. And then you can tell uh, me where I, I to zoom remember. in. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing, really, yeah. isn't it? Because I, I, I really did a, look. I, and I'm I, thinking, I, well, he really hit it well because yeah, I, I can't. Too. No, I did look, too. I see, the, no. obviously, the Acme Airlines logo there right aft of the uh, window where the there's some uh, shenanigans happening. Uh, yeah, well, that was the uh, there to distract you. So it wasn't anything to do with that. Yeah. And let's okay. see, title art. Uh, where's it gone? Uh I do uh, like the um, uh, the luggage on top of the uh, elderly couple's heads. And the birds. And the birds. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I could have removed the birds, but I thought they were uh, an amusing uh, uh, an addition. Right? Yes. Emotional support birds, I think. They are. Um, oh, they added a, a bit of a broken uh, uh, trunnion to the uh, funnions. Mm -hmm. uh, now... Yeah, I can see that big, giant, broken trunnion. I don't know why they didn't see that on the walk around, but it looks pretty obvious. Well, to yeah, me. you know these Boeing pilots. Yeah. Um, oh. Did I did I put it in the engine? I can't quite remember. Maybe oh no, this is embarrassing. Now I put. I always put it in there. I would have put it in somewhere. Well, my whole box says he didn't get past that window into the lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Oh, I remember now. Yeah, the old gentleman. Can you oh. zoom in on his glasses? Oh, oh my God. Come on. Wow. Now, come okay. on. No, zoom in on his glasses. I'm trying. I'm trying. Let me. All of us are looking at this on a two-inch oh, iPhone screen, and I... Captain Nick has like a 37 megabyte <laughs> well, hey, look, wait, file it, it, on his it, I post I this in, in Instagram and on Facebook, so you can always zoom in there. So have you worked it out, Jeff? Yeah, I see his glasses are kind of unusually shaped. Well, they are indeed, because uh, his glasses make a perfect eight, and that was the middle number. Mm -hmm. And uh, one arm uh, of his glasses is a five, and the other is a seven. So there you get five, eight, seven. <laughs> the show number. Wow. Wow. 
Okay. Well, so, you and they're us. pretty clear. Now you're looking at it. They're, they're pretty obvious. Well, yeah, when you, you find it, it's clear. Captain Nick also designs <laughs> escape rooms in his spare time. <laughs> oh, I can see it. It's in the beak yes. of one of the birds, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, dear. It was this poor chap's wife. I rather she got all that stuff draped over her face. Uh, yeah. I know. yeah. All right. Brilliant. Uh, that was that was good fun. But uh, I had nothing to do with choosing that subject. It was fo- hoisted, hoisted upon, upon me. Hoisted upon you, exactly. Yes, mm-hmm. it was indeed. Hoisted by your own petard. Yeah, I always like to do that. Well, that's <laughs> what happens when you leave the show early, and that's then you right. have no yes, input. Yes, I know. Never leave the show early because they're bound to talk about you. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, you forgot to mention the uh, uh, Blackbird Expo. Oh I yeah, I did. Notes. Well, did you really? I didn't see where did I. Uh, oh, there it is, right, in, right underneath the photo. Sorry about that, Liz. Uh, yeah. So a uh, one of our live audience members here, Texas, Texas Anlashock. Uh, uh, asked if he could uh, kind of promote this uh, happening, uh, which is the Blackbird Expo, October 13th through the 15th. Uh, so coming up uh, next week, I guess, uh, Battleship Alabama, that's Friday through Sunday, Battleship Alabama in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, there will be speakers um, who are people who worked on the SR-71 and the A-12. And again, it's a, it's a great uh, attraction in uh, Mobile, right on Mobile Bay, the uh, battleship Alabama. And I think right next to that is the uh, submarine, the USS Drum. And I think they do have an SR-71 parked there on static display, if I remember correctly. I'm not ab- absolutely positive about that. Maybe Texas and Lashaw can can give us a little bit more detail about that over there in the uh, chat room. But uh, yeah. So there we go. So if you're in the Mobile area uh, next weekend, uh, check it out at uh, the Battleship Alabama. Coffee fun time. All right. Coffee fun. I'm going to – hey, Jeff, real quick yeah. before the coffee fun, I'm going to yeah. get out of here. So okay. I just wanted to uh, Excellent. say it was good to see Hi, Armando Thanks. and Matt. I appreciate uh, you guys joining Cheers, us. Nick. That was fun. And what I'll, about the, uh, the rest of us? Everyone. Yeah, it's always good to see you guys. Oh, I just get to see uh-huh. you guys every week. So hopefully <laughs> sure. next week I'll be what back around. What are you guys, chopped liver? I'm, uh, yeah. I'm going to upstage Nick here and say it's always great to see the three of you. And it's great to see everyone that's not here either, the rest of the AP. <laughs> it's great to see the people you can't see. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Got um, it. We are also going to step off uh, at this juncture. Okay. Um, oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah. It's the been great hanging out with you guys. Thanks, ship. Jeff, for putting up with me. And oh yeah, you know, it's always a great time uh, having you on, Armando, and and uh, special guest Matt Smith. It's always great to see you as well. Uh, so you know we've tagged team before, right? I help out yeah. occasionally on Actually, the PTUK, and so it's it's you know. I was just going to say, open invitation. You guys are welcome to join us tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah, have oh. your rates improved? <laughs> it's in the mail. It's in the royal mail. You well, check. it's still in the mail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, it has been since uh, uh, 2018. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I defer to our financial controller. Yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's, that's, who is Carlos? Yeah, Carlos. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hey, all right. y'all have all a right. good time. Guys. Enjoy the See skydiving, Matt. <laughs> All right, take care. Bye. What do you mean skydiving? What, 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 okay, bye. <laughs> uh, bye. <laughs> Don't take your back rucksack off. <sighs> and then, oh, there, and were then there were two, two. plus yeah. Liz. Three. Yeah, in the control room. Three of us here. All right, it's time now for us to talk about um, a way that you can support the show. Uh, it's called the Coffee Fund. So let me push the button. 
the button. Jeff Smith. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. It's the coffee fund. So, hey, if you want, you could support us financially if you have the resources to do so. Don't do it if you have, you have to spend your money on clothing and food and flight shelter lessons. and flight lessons, which is, of course, the most important of all of those. Uh, but if you have some extra coins or shekels or whatever kind of monetary thing, uh, consider giving us some of that uh, via the coffee fund. And you can become a member of the coffee fund. There you go. Uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's uh, yeah, just just send your cash. Just send your cash. Um, so anyway, uh, Coffee Fund, a couple different ways. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, which is basically a, a PayPal donation page. And since the last show, we have a couple who have uh, contributed via that method. A uh, Edwin Garcia. Well, I don't know if they're actually a couple, Liz. They are a couple of people uh, that who have. Oh, uh, you know what I meant. Um, that's pretty funny, though. Uh, Edwin Garcia Melendez and Stephen Simpson. They took advantage of the Coffee Fund classic method. And uh, the other way that you can support our show financially and become part of the Coffee Fund cadre, Coffee Bar Club, is uh, Patreon. And uh, since our last show, we have a couple of new uh, executive producers. Uh, one, Rodrigo Pacheco. He said, I have fun with uh, my last name. What would you say, Liz? Pacheco? 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 Pacheco. Okay, I'm saying Pacheco. Uh, what do you say? Uh, Potato, potato. Pacheco. Pacheco. Okay. So you're thinking CH on that. It could be. So I don't know. We have some feedback from Rodrigo on the show today. We do have some feedback from Rodrigo. And also. it could be Pacheco. Could be, could yeah, be. Think of pachinko. Okay, I'm sorry I even <laughs> asked ja- about Japanese the pronunciation. gambling. Yes, look what we've gotten us into. Let's just call him Rodrigo. <laughs> okay, and uh, Samuel Aftanas, uh, Aftanas, Aftanas, Aftanas. That sounds good. Anyway, so uh, thank you very much for becoming executive producers on Patreon. So hey, if you want to join this great group of folks, uh, just head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. Hey, we will too. Feedback. Time feedback. Incoming message. All right. Uh, this is some audio feedback sent, us, sent to us from Grinner. Uh, he was with us. Uh, we were about to play it on the last show. We ran out of time and uh, he had to leave. Uh, he is over in some part of the world where it's much later. And uh, so I don't know if Grinner is with us this week in our live today, audience or not. Yeah, I haven't seen him. But anyway, you know, the cool thing is that we record we record the show. So hopefully he'll hear uh, us talking about his audio feedback um, in the in the replay. Uh, so let's hear what he has to say, shall we? Hey, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Steph, Miami Rick, and Nick C. Uh, Grinner here from the UK, uh, providing some feedback on the incredibly tragic gliding accident in the uh, UK last year, uh, discussed in APG 585. 
Aside from being a professional uh, airline pilot, uh, I also uh, am quite uh, involved in uh, the British Gliding Association and I'm a senior examiner and have been a gliding instructor for the, the last 30 odd years. And uh, I do have a little bit more information to, uh, to expand on what you discussed in APG 585. Firstly, the, uh, the, two, uh, the two young glider pilots that were discussed in uh, the accident report, uh, one of them was actually a former colleague of mine at my previous airline. And uh, the, uh, two, uh, the two friends had left uh, the club of one of them to go down to the club of the second uh, pilot uh, to do some flying. It's quite a unique site in the south of the UK uh, with a very, very uh, long line of hills called the South Downs, which uh, in a northerly wind provides some exceptional uh, ridge soaring conditions. And I do believe that the two friends had uh, elected to move their gliders from uh, one site to uh, the second uh, early that morning to take advantage of those conditions. They'd arrived early, as the report had stated, and had rigged their own gliders before uh, the other club members had turned up to uh, prepare for flying that day. And uh, the uh, accident pilot uh, involved had uh, been helping other pilots to uh, rig and prepare gliders, which had included doing the uh, positive control checks that had been discussed uh, within the uh, within the accident report. Sadly. Uh, it would appear that uh, he omitted to do them on his own glider, which meant that uh, he'd failed to notice that he hadn't connected uh, the elevator push rod uh, on, his, uh, on his own glider, which led to the tragic circumstances of the accident. To expand a little bit on what positive control checks mean, uh, unlike uh, powered aeroplanes, uh, Pretty much all sailplanes, certainly all sailplanes to my knowledge, uh, have push rods rather than cables uh, because, because sailplanes are designed to be uh, taken apart and rigged pretty much on a daily basis and uh, therefore uh, cables would be a really, really difficult thing to actually utilise uh, for sailplanes, so push rods uh, are the way. And there are very, very different uh, methods of uh, connecting up those push rods. All modern sailplanes nowadays have self-connecting controls, uh, which means that uh, the likelihood of a control misconnection uh, is extremely remote. But the older types of glider, like uh, the uh, ASW-20 that the accident pilot was flying, uh, do have uh, a system called hotelier connections, which I won't go into the technicalities of because they're quite complicated. Uh, but uh, suffice to say that uh, you can feel like you've connected them without them actually being positively connected. And uh, what positive control uh, checks uh, mean is that two people are involved where one person actually holds the control surface still whilst the other person in the cockpit moves the control stick or the rudders. The rudders don't usually get uh, disconnected, but you always do the rudders as well. But primarily the elevators and ailerons are moved to uh, see whether there's, a, whether there's any give in the controls and uh, applying sufficient force and uh, the recommendation is somewhere around 15 to 20 pounds of force if a control wasn't connected correctly then that would make itself apparent straight away so 
unlike doing power, uh, unlike doing positive control checks in a powered aeroplane, where you sit in the cockpit and you move the uh, the controls in the cockpit and watch for the control surfaces to move, which is conventional in every other powered aeroplane. The positive control check in a sailplane is a physical uh, restraining of the control surface uh, and moving the control stick to uh, to see whether there's any give in the system. So hopefully that's uh, given you a little bit more information about that. Uh, Grinner out. Thank you very much. Thanks, Grinner. Uh, great, uh, great feedback regarding the pushrod system of uh, modern sailplanes, and uh, that makes it's making more sense to us now. The positive control checks, and you know what? You're not the only one who uh, sent us some feedback regarding this. In fact, uh, we got some. Um, Oh, shoot. Where I thought I had it all lined up. Here we go. Yeah, from Stephen Devine. Uh, I've met Stephen. Well, he'll mention this, but I've, I've met him a couple of times, and uh, he recorded some audio for us. So let's hear what Steve has to say. Hello, APG community. This is Steve from the Philadelphia area. Been a long time since I've given any feedback. Uh, Jeff, you might remember me. We've had a few meetups in Philadelphia some years ago, and Nick, we had a meetup in Manhattan with Radio Roger, which seems like yesterday was probably four years ago. I don't remember. But uh, anyway, this is regarding uh, feedback to show number 585 regarding the positive control check for gliders. I am a CFI and glider and have been flying gliders since I was 14 years old, and I'm 61, and still going pretty strong in the soaring community. I'm a CFI in both gliders and airplanes, as well as a tow pilot. If you remember, I'm fortunate enough to do checkouts and towing in a L-19 bird dog. Uh, But regarding the positive control check, if this has not already been addressed by someone uh, at this point, uh, I could expound slightly more on it. What a positive control check is in the soaring community is we not only make sure that there is correct movement of the elevator and ailerons and and also dive brakes, but we apply pressure to those surfaces to make sure that the push rods are connected and actually moving the surface. And it's it's not not due to a partial hookup. Uh, Modern gliders, as I will define as fiberglass gliders, uh, are all push rod connected. And in years ago, they started coming out with auto hookups. So as soon as you put the wings on and the elevator on, the control rods would hook up automatically. And it's pretty flawless today in very new gliders, but some of the older fiberglass gliders, the automatic hookups were not so automatic. And that you could have a situation where you think it's hooked up, but it's not, in that the the two rods are sort of jammed together and you can still have some movement of the control surface, but it's not actually connected. So by actually somebody holding on to the control surface and making sure that there's actually force required to move the, the control surface throughout its full range of motion, uh, thereby ensuring that the push rods are actually connected. Uh, it's done regularly at my glider club, even though we don't disassemble the gliders, but most gliders, as you know, are disassembled at the end of the day and kept in trailers. So those hookups are very important. Those checks, I should say, are very important. Uh, unfortunately about 
oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, I witnessed an accident uh, that related uh, ended up in a fatality of a glider pilot who did not have a control surface hooked up uh, properly. It was an older fiberglass glider, and apparently this type of glider was known for the elevator possibly be given a false indication that the, it, the connections was made when it really wasn't. And I, it's my understanding that a positive control check was done on that glider, but it was not done through the full range of motion. So the elevator did not have full range of motion if, if that would have been checked. This accident may or may not have happened. But uh, on takeoff, the glider pilot uh, was an aero tow. Uh, being pulled up by an airplane, the glider PIO'd, uh, pilot-induced oscillated into the ground initially after takeoff, and it was a pretty hard PIO to strike the ground, and I remember being alarmed at that. And then about, they seemed to have recovered, and about 200 feet more down the runway, another PIO occurred that was very severe uh, to the extent that the wings flexed to the point where the wingtips actually hit the turf runway. And then the glider immediately began to kite, uh, meaning going up like a kite behind the tow plane. Very fortunate that the rope broke before it upset the tow pilot and causing him to crash. The tow pilot was able to recover, but the rope broke. The glider resumed level flight remarkably. And it really looked at that point that the glider was under control and that there was going to be a save made here. But shortly after that level flight was attained, the glider nosed over and impacted the ground beyond vertical, uh, killing the pilot. NTSB, NTSB came out and investigated the accident and found that the, the horizontal stabilizer, or elevator I should say, was not connected uh, to the push rod. And apparently that glider is known for that issue, and uh, there are... If you go to the that glider's web club website, you know for that type of glider, there are there are, I guess, articles written about how to make sure that your elevator is connected. And so, it's an unfortunate thing that can happen, and that's why the soaring community has instituted what we call positive control checks. I hope that sheds some light on the subject. Love listening to the show. Keep it up. Thanks. Thank you, Stephen. Um, yeah, I, I met. Uh, I remember both of the, or at least two times that I've met you, and uh, it's always been uh, a pleasure. And thank you very much for your expertise uh, in soaring and uh, this positive control check uh, issue. And it sounds like it's it's led to untimely deaths uh, of several people. So it's a very important thing to do. Make sure these checks are done. Yeah, isn't it funny? From the most primitive uh, of aircraft right up to the largest airliner, we all should do control checks, uh, and uh, I've spent my life doing them. So, uh, yeah, very important. Something you should never skimp. Absolutely. All right, moving on. Uh, Els Pilato uh, wades in again, he says. Opinions are like pilots' egos. You can never squash them or quash them. And it is here. Let me try that again. Opinions are like pilots egos. You can never quash them. And it is usually just a load of hot air. (laughs) I wanted to quote someone else, but I'm aware, well, have been reminded on many of my interactions with the APG that this is a family show. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen, family show. Oh, it's back. Come back. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, where is he? I don't see them. Uh, uh, yeah, but he's there in the, in the, what do they call that? In the, in, in the, spirit. No, in the, in like the, on a stage in the wings, I oh, think in the wings. In the wings. In limbo, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, turning back to APG 585 in United Flight 328 from Denver to Honolulu, it, and it's an in-flight, uh, and it's in-flight fire. The ensuing discussions took me back once again to another of my excellent Boeing 737 type rating instructor's lessons. It was our first crack at the IFATO, uh, E-F-A-T-O, engine fire after takeoff. I thought the captain and I did a pretty good job and got as far as to uh, fire both bottles into the offending engine. And like many pilots before and after us, breathed a sigh of relief once the fire light went out. But from the back of the sim came the thick Aussie accent of, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't Can you do an Aussie accent uh, there? Uh, I thought you did a pretty good job, actually, quite honestly. Well, I, I think your, you yours is going to be better. That. Yeah, do it, do it uh, better. <coughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that's better. Uh, both the captain and I turned and after a quick mind meld, nodded in concert. He leaned forward, poking a finger at the pedestal where the overheat fire protection panel sat. He tapped the fault light. What does that mean? Or say it in an Australian accent. Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> we just looked blankly at him. After a dramatic pause, he said, uh, Means you both most likely stuffed it. If you think it's all low, it's all now well. <laughs> no, no, they stopped it. Good winglets isn't so sure about the accent. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, now we're getting critics right. in our uh, live audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you think you could do better, join the show. Exactly. This is our this week's uh, episode of uh, the APG players. Exactly. <laughs> Enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> we're doing the best we can. Uh, that small, almost insignificant fault. I, I should be fair. We didn't discuss doing this before we started reading this feedback. No so, rehearsals. Uh, no rehearsals at all. Yeah. Um, I'm used to it. That, uh, oh, that small, almost insignificant fault light is the one light that could let you know if your fire is truly out. Its job is to alert you to the fact that both fire loops for an engine, one engine, have failed. If it's on, it means you are most likely still burning such a small light, how does this not also have a bell that can rip you from your deepest sleep? <laughs> oh, um, good point. As you know, another bell of the 737. That's just what you need. <laughs> As you know, I now fly Airbus, and ECAM will give me a ping if both fire loops fail, and a little spike comes up from the little uh, the cushion, seat cushion, and pokes your butt, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, absolutely. No. Just the first officers. <laughs> Just a, yeah, the you don't captains. want to harm the captain. Because well, <laughs> no, the first right. officers is probably more uh more more physically taut, you know, than the Indeed. old yes. flabby bottom of a captain. <laughs> um don't want to think about uh, it. yeah, I don't even want to think about it either. Uh as you know, I fly the uh, and now fly, I'm going to start over here. As you know, I now fly Airbus and ECAM will give you a ping if both fire loops fail. And that's enough for me to decipher whether I can go on to putter around a hold and bat some ducks in a row or get it on the deck right smartly. However, below, oh, he's sounding very American there all of a sudden. Isn't, isn't he British? Yeah, I think he is, yeah. Uh, however, below 800 feet on the radio altimeter landing inhibit kicks in. 
and that bit of vital info is inhibited uh, until landing. Hence why on a return after firing my two fire bottles and the fire is not out, I'm committed to land below 800 feet above the uh, airport level because if the fire light goes out, I will not be able to tell if the fire is out as advertised or burnt through the loops. In short, if I have to deal with an engine fire, I always ensure I have at least one fire loop operational in the engine in question before I decide to slow things down after the fire light extinguishes. Calm air, strong tailwinds, and long runways to you all. Else Palato. Words yeah, of wisdom. Lots of good stuff there. Well done, yeah. uh, Else Palato. Thank you very much. Yes. Great. I can't say that we used to commit at 800 feet on a, uh, after an engine fire that we assumed was extinguished, um, but I do see your point. Uh, yeah, uh, the, we had the advantage. I, I can't remember if Els Pilato is uh, a real pilot or a cargo pilot. Can you remember, Jeff? He's a real pilot. Uh, he's he's a, a real pilot. <laughs> a real pilot. Oh, okay. So, because <laughs> so, I, I would be, uh, I would have a, a line through Paul to the cabin to crew, really, because I want one of them... Uh, you know, looking at one of my engines uh, and making sure that uh, they're not flaming, uh, flaming engines. Those darn flaming engines. Which I think is always uh, nice to have that additional confirmation. Absolutely, it is. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, let's continue on with uh, Les. Um, he says, let's see, he's a truck driver, truck driver Les in Iowa. I spotted the attached picture of the Katy Freeway in Houston, Texas. And oh, thought, my God. Yeah, and thought of our future explorer, Captain Jeff. Somewhere. Bells. Yeah. Well, this how is, many lanes? It's 26. Somewhere in, joking. in the middle of 26 lanes of traffic, grateful his motorhome doesn't have active TCAS at this moment. <laughs> and uh, so I, what, what do you think about that, uh, Captain Nick? Very impressive. I know. It, it is indeed. Yeah, it's 26. <laughs> mm. uh, the, the yellow arrow is where I envision Jeff and his pristine home uh, is wishing it came with inflatable boat bumpers. Yeah, maybe I should yeah. put that on as an option. I think the Katy yeah. Freeway, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we used to, uh, in our uh, several, several years ago, decades ago, uh, we used to stay in a layover hotel. Um, right around that area and it's uh, it's it's just incredible to see how uh, the number of lanes of traffic in that uh, wow. interstate freeway system. Did they uh, give you gas masks when you arrived at the hotel? No, nah, we just uh, we just suck it up <laughs> and enjoy it. it. Get, get a cigarette out and uh, Absolutely. smoke a Why little not? bit. So knowing your history of hitting things in RVs, you going to yeah. have cow catchers fitted on your new one? No, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. I, th I was thinking yeah. backing up, but I, I, I didn't. I didn't I know, hit anything on the front. Backing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think to I, scoop up all those uh, bins. Yeah, that, a cow catcher might be a good uh, accessory for me to install. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim Van Ram says no. Oops, sorry. Tim Van Ram in our live audience says no one uses a blinker there. Well, I mean, what's the point, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's the point? Oh. Are you making fun of our uh, lovely uh, Houston, Texas drivers? This is Look what they do. This, they don't need a darn blinker. They need that. I'll take care <laughs> of it. Right. Get them out of your way. It's Stick a six-shooter out of the window. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they'll get your signal. Speaking um, of Australians, <laughs> here's 
Australian. Oh, speaking of Australians with uh, unusually and um, inappropriately and uh, just not even, uh, I don't know what else to say. Not, it's just why. Uh, KFC Make Good Winglets sent us some feedback. Um, he says, more runway numbers and compass madness. In episode 586, there was a, a discussion regarding runway naming conventions and compass headings. I have some information to help, or some more information to help throw a spanner in the works. Well, thank you very much for that. As well as changing runway numbers to allow for more than three parallel runways, some airports may deviate from the actual magnetic runway heading to avoid using confusing numbers. Oh, yeah, that's right. An example of this is at Perth Airport in Western Australia. The longest runway there is named runway 21-03. However, the actual runway headings are 196 and 016, respectively. Using some difficult math, I calculated it to be a whopping 14 degrees off. You might be wondering why Perth Airport is trying to be so difficult. My guess is they wanted to avoid using the numbers 2002. Although this would be technically correct, I believe this number pairing was avoided as it has the highest likelihood of being confused by pilots over the radio when issued a takeoff or landing clearance. This could also be said for runway 31 and 13. Yeah, I think I, I've encountered yeah, a lot of runway 31s and 13s, and it is confused at times. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's the excuse I use to help me sleep at night. I hope more knowledgeable members of this community can shed some light on the matter. Love your work, APG crew. Till next time. Well, KFC, make good winglets. Uh, thank you for the feedback. And obviously, nobody more knowledgeable than you has uh, chimed in on this. So No, it's the sort of thing that we don't tend to worry about, really. Uh, after all, when you when you it's a rough um, indication that you're pointing on in the correct direction. Um, it's not like we measure it to the degree on our compasses and when you're making an approach you know any drift you've got would mean that your compass heading would might be many degrees off the uh, runway heading so it's just a, a, a last chance check that you're yeah bringing it in on the uh, on the correct end of the runway so we, we don't worry too much about it and after all you have to be pretty damn close to it to actually read it uh, and uh, by that point, we're usually looking a bit further down the runway to judge our, um, you know, pitch angle for the flare. So, yeah. Yep. Shift the gaze and look at the horizon. Indeed. It's always a good technique. Uh, Super Fred Driver says Atlanta does that. Uh, do that. Well, let's see. Atlanta does that. Do so, that. So don't. they don't have. Oh, so they don't have. Um, Nine A B C D and E. Yeah, I mean we can't do numbers and le well, no, we do actually. We do letters and numbers, so never mind. Um, but uh, all all good stuff, all good uh, points made. And uh, let's see, I think that uh, we can move on now to Pedro. the feedback from Pedro. Uh, he says, double check your departures, trust your primary instruments, and cross check constantly. I was listening to the segment about airport departures on parallel runways and a story popped to mind, which I think is worth sharing. One time in Heathrow, on my very last line of flight of the command upgrade course, before the release into line, I made a classic mistake. 
we were cleared for takeoff on 27 left. And as soon as the aircraft got airborne, sure enough, the flight directors commanded a right turn. Since our departures were usually to the south, to our left that day, inbound Southampton, going from Heathrow to Lis- or Lisbon, I thought it very odd and kept on flying straight, as per Sid. As a habit, but also out of training at Euro Acme, which encourages pilots to hand fly as much as possible, but also to actually navigate instead of just trusting the green lines on the navigation display. Huh? Woo-hoo. What? <laughs> yeah, we yeah, like wow. Good idea. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, I usually tune whatever nav aids are available, and so on that night, my instincts to disregard the flight director bar and navigate classically kicked in. That meant that I should keep flying on runway heading until some miles and then intercept an outbound radial out of London, VOR. But I might have hesitated during the initial flying bit as the controller came up on frequency and asked us which SID we were performing. I looked down at the flight management uh, FMGS. What's that? Something, something. Flight management guidance system. Guidance system. Thank you. And the SID inserted was for... 27 right. Even though he had briefed, used the appropriate charts, and even calculated performance for 27 left, the programmed runway at the FMGS was the other one. Just goes to show how expectation bias works. Since we actually flew the appropriate SID and no deviation was done, this wasn't a, a noticeable slip for everyone else. Nonetheless, we filled uh, out the uh, air safety report, made a record of it on the journey log in case we got fines for noise abatement, and I got a top mark on my training folder. I guess the trainer was even more embarrassed than me that he didn't pick up the mistake himself. It was a valuable lesson, fortunately without any serious consequences. Anyway, long story short, double check your departures, trust your primary instruments and cross-checked cross-check constantly. Thanks for your sharing of experiences and keep up the good job of trading war stories that make us all better. Cheers. Absolutely. And that's from Pedro Tito. U.S. Blackhawk in our live audience says, that's why many towers in the U.S. ask you for your first point to confirm that you're going to fly the correct SID, standard instrument departure. That's what SID stands for. Yep, it's good practice, yeah, I think. but I, I, I'm guessing uh, Pedro is talking about the old days when we didn't do so many um, uh, waypoint-orientated departures. And uh, it was probably all done on radi- radials, bearings and yeah, radials. Sounds like it. To, yeah, uh, and I have done exactly the same thing on exactly the same airfield, on exactly the same runways, uh, on a very early uh, trip as a new captain. Uh, and we had, uh, had I think, two or three runway changes on the way out for whatever reason and programming everything in, we got out of phase and uh, we had a departure in for the uh, right runway and we finally got airborne on the left runway. And the last thing in those days that the Airbus did was, as you uh, advance the throttles, was to um, reapply any bias that, had been caused by uh, the inertial reference systems drifting while you were taxiing out and uh, zero the aircraft's position on the threshold of the runway you put in. So we immediately had a match map shift that uh, went <laughs> moved us, uh, moved the position of the aircraft by, I don't know, a, a mile, I guess, mile and a bit. 
uh, the different the distance between the two runways. And uh, on the departure, of course, uh, the aircraft immediately wanted to get to the track. It thought it ought to be on by doing a right turn. We did exactly the same, kicked the autopilot off and uh, just flew straight ahead. Uh, and air traffic said, uh, you're, you, they spotted it straight away. I just shows how alert those boys are. You, you've got a problem? And we just said, oh, could you just confirm we're on the correct track for our departure and they said yeah you're pretty good yeah so we carried on <laughs> on raw data but, Adam but uh, what a guy yeah, yeah no he was downstairs in the office picking his nose i don't <laughs> think yeah he was in the i don't think he was in the glass house that day so um yeah but it might have been you never know it might have been adam i'm sure he would have spotted it if uh, but we i mean we barely twitched uh, but it was enough for them to go, oi, why is his right wing down? He's departing on the left, going south. Uh, so I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I would I would question your uh, trainer giving you top marks for that. Because uh, if you'd flown it perfectly, are you going to give you top marks for that or what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you get top marks for making a mistake? Oh. I think you get top marks for making and possibly making a mistake and recognizing it uh, very very rapidly you get good marks for covering up for the trainer well I was, that's what i was going to say i was that well, was he, the second part of my statement i was going to say it's not the trainer's job to pick up your mistakes he's just there to to, uh, to uh, criticize you at the end exactly and if you can keep him out of keep him out of trouble, then yeah, you'll probably helps. keep yourself out of trouble as well. Speaking of trouble, uh, yeah. here comes. Oh him. no! Speaking of trouble, oh, this is going to be. I can just sense it. Okay, here we go. Let's hear what kind of audio feedback we have from this person. Hello, airline pilot guys and airline pilot girls. Hello, and I guess Pip. everyone in between as well. <laughs> Pip here with um, I don't know, a wonderment. A question for you. Just your thoughts on something. Um, on episode f uh, 585, 584, something like that, a few episodes ago, you were discussing uh, an event at an airfield, I forget which one, where two aircraft on parallel runways departed and due to one of them flying the incorrect departure, uh, Sid, they both turned in the same direction, hence towards each other, causing a little bit of a conflict, which was then resolved by... Um, I guess I switched on air traffic controller asking a series of questions along the lines of, hey, are you visual with the other aircraft? I think he asked both aircraft. And and I wonder um, if that was perhaps the most efficient way or most expeditious way or even the safest way. Would it not be easier perhaps to have simply, once you recognize the conflict, simply say, issue an instruction, hey, aircraft A, turn right immediately heading whatever, 330 degrees, and resolve the conflict that way. You know, what if the aircraft had replied and said, hey, no, we don't see the other aircraft, what's going on? Or maybe they had been in IMC conditions, maybe they're in cloud and, and couldn't see each other. Um, what might have happened then? Um, and I suppose this is really one of the very stark differences between air traffic control provision on your side of the pond versus our side of the pond, at least in my pretty limited experience of flying over there. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever been asked, uh, am I visual with another traffic, at least for the purposes of, of deconfliction. Now, and I'm assuming these guys were departing both on IFR flight plans, 
and departing from an airport in controlled airspace. So doesn't the responsibility of, of deconfliction of IFR traffic fall on the controller? It certainly would over here. Uh, you know, again, in the limited amount of flying I've, I've done over there, I've always been just a marginally, just a smidgen uncomfortable when um, I've been asked really without having requested it to be to maintain traffic my own traffic separation you know i guess that normally happens on approaches right you very often cleared visual approach over there even you know even without having asked for one um which is is not really that common uh, over here so um there it is just a wonderment what do you think about that i mean this is not a criticism in in any way at all it's a genuine um, discussion point as to the you know what's going on there versus what's going on over here. That's it, really. Um, incidentally, <laughs> as I was thinking about this a uh, little bit of feedback, uh, I think I may have got a speeding ticket. I was just driving out of Luton Airport, having finished a, a pretty uh, unusually easy five days, and I glanced down at my speedometer and was uh, horrified to see I was going 58 uh, on a road which is notorious for its speed cameras, and the limit is 50. Um, so maybe you guys owe me 80 bucks. Oh. Made me think, man. I'm not used to thinking. And you guys made me think. Anyhow, that's it. Uh, hope everyone's well. Catch up soon. Bye. Oh, before I go, I, just a little bit I wanted to add. A little bit of trivia for you. You were talking about that uh, procedure where the pilots are asked to confirm the first point on their flight plan in the departure, which I agree is a very sensible uh, and good procedure. Uh, and there is only one other place I can think of in Europe, at least, that does that, and that's in Dublin. Uh, quite why they do it in Dublin, I don't know, because they've only just in the last year or so got parallel runways. It always used to be taking off in, in one direction. So I guess something that happened in Dublin to cause that procedure. But it's not part of the, uh, they don't ask you to confirm that on the takeoff clearance. It's, if I remember correctly, it's on the initial uh, taxi clearance. When you call for taxi, they ask you to confirm the first. Uh, point on your departure it's all the guinness and i wanted to say they do it somewhere possibly in dubai if memory serves but uh, you're right it's a good procedure and maybe it should happen everywhere okay that definitely is it bye name <laughs> yeah bye oh, wait, <laughs> yeah. hang on regarding the 80 dollar uh, speeding ticket hang on what's our coffee fund balance less than 80 dollars less than 80 dollars is the answer i just heard all right so sorry Pip. bad luck yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? Um, I meant to uh, good, good points. And I, I, uh, point well taken as well. I think that I think maybe it would have been more efficient just to say, instead of asking him if he sees the other airplane that he's about to hit, uh, maybe <laughs> just, uh, just turn right, like take control of the situation. Oh, wait, control, take control, controller. Um, uh, I agree. They're they're responsible for deconfliction. They are both uh, airlines. They are both operating on um, IFR flight plans for sure. Whether they're you know visual or not, um, and uh, that just sounds like a couple of extra uh, radio transmissions that wouldn't be necessary and could have you know uh, resulted in a, a collision. Uh, yeah, it was the pilot's fault for doing the wrong turn, uh, the wrong departure, but. Um, just sort it out and then, you know, give them the phone number and then you can sort it all, all out in the uh, aftermath. Um, but, uh, and I know, yeah, it's a different environment. Captain Nick has reminded of, us of that many, many times over here in the States. We 
kind of treat uh, visual approaches uh, much more differently than what you experience or if you even experience them at all in other parts of the world. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, very rare elsewhere. Yeah. Very rare. I was going to make a point about, um, and, and I meant to uh, talking about the previous uh, piece of feedback uh, before we jumped on this one, is that, and this is just some good information for those of you out there who are new to uh, Part 121 or Part 135 flying and or who happen to fly into or out of, actually, uh, Atlanta International Airport. It's one of those places that I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, and they'll, they'll hold you, they'll give you a takeoff clearance. You take off and then most places almost immediately after your first couple of hundred feet, uh, you know, you're off the end of the runway and they switch you to departure control radio frequency. Um, in Atlanta, they wait longer than anywhere else. And I always wondered why, because, uh, you know, especially people that are not used to flying into Atlanta International are are like, okay, you know, do you want me to switch to departure? Because this is usually what we do in almost every other airport. Um, and then they'll say, no, hang on, uh, need to stay with me a little bit longer. And then they'll switch them. And sometimes people just uh, just switch on their own, you know, like, okay, I know I shouldn't still be on tower frequency now, but the reason they do that, I took a tour of the tower and they, they said, we have all these multiple departures on e- all these different runways. And, uh, some of the departure trajectories on the same departure runway can differ by about six, seven degrees, if that, and they have to make sure by, you know, visually, if, if conditions are such that they can visually see the aircraft taking off, they have to ensure, and they're, they're using their radar as well, I'm sure. Um, they have to ensure that we're doing the right track on that particular uh, departure transition before they let us go to departure yeah. control. Because they've had some issues in the past where people were flying the wrong uh departure transition uh, right off the uh, end of the runway. So they kind of get, they hold on to you a little bit longer than normal. That's my, that's my advice or my, my point to you. If you're not used to flying uh, out of Atlanta international that uh, you, uh, yeah, pro tip. Thank you. uh, Those um, that that's something don't expect to get switched over immediately. Uh, Do you remember that Nick? uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And there were some height constraints to meet, uh, well, 10 or 14 miles, I'm trying to think what they were, but um, they often used to wait until you got to that sort of a range, 10 or 15 miles away, before they'd uh, hand you off. And it was a bit weird because, you know, you're so used to doing it, it's Mm -hmm. quite natural. Get airborne and you get a frequency change and off you go. Um, And to hang up, be held on like that was felt weird. Yeah. yeah, it's just like you feel like somebody they've forgotten. They've forgotten about yeah. me out here. But exactly no, that's right. they're doing it to everybody. Uh, yes, Liz? Before you move on, you're in mm-hmm. trouble with Texas and LaShock here. Oh, no. I'm in, in trouble with Texas and LaShock. Less than $80. I demand an audit. Well, you know what? I would be so happy to give you an audit uh, or, or submit to an audit, Texas and LaShock, except that we're not a nonprofit and I don't have to. Submit myself to an audit. We're not so, a non-profit. That's a double negative. Uh, we are. Yeah, that is that is true. We are okay. We for profit. We are. Oh, we are not a non-profit. No, that's for correct. <laughs> we are a not for-profit. a non-profit. Exactly. That means we are a profit. Exactly. And profits. But we don't. don't have to. We don't make profit. No, we're a non-profit. Ah, uh, I'm so confused. 
No, <laughs> that's my answer. Okay. You can demand all you want, Texas Anderson. <laughs> you don't get it yet. You ain't going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, all right. How are we doing yeah, with the time? Blackhawk mentions uh, that Heathrow do the land after clearance, and that's pretty rare in my experience. In fact, in all the time I flew in there, I never got one. What is that? Uh, uh, well, you're allowed, in certain circumstances, you're allowed to be given a landing clearance with one aircraft on the runway, hmm. but it has to be a long way down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is, it has to be certain weather conditions. I can't remember what all the rules are, but. Hmm. But I've certainly been given lots of approaches in the States where you are required to. I mean, San Francisco was a classic where you had to confirm your visual with the aircraft on the parallel runway because you're both making approaches and you're pretty, as you're probably all aware, the San Francisco parallel runways are tight. They're close together. Uh, and um, you had to remain behind, for example, an aircraft. And it was a bit hard because if you've got a, a little light, a lighter machine that had a lower uh, threshold speed, it starts slowing up to land and you're already at minimum speed and you're starting to barrel past him and you're not supposed to overtake him. What happened if you did overtake him? I never really knew. I assumed you'd have to do a go around, but um, you know, it was, it was sometimes a bit embarrassing because you're sort of overhauling this aircraft, but there yeah. you go. Yeah, it is. It's difficult sometimes because your you know, your speeds aren't going to exactly match. You know, it might be a much smaller airplane with a much lower um, approach speed. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the you know there are several challenging airports around the world, and San Francisco is definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. In fact, we used to have to make. I don't know if we still do. I haven't flown into San Francisco International in many many years. Uh, but we, in our special pages, uh, had um, as a briefing item, we had to make a, a PA uh, to the passengers to alert them to the <laughs> fact that we are flying in very close to other airplanes, you know, and don't freak out. You know, like, I forgot exactly what the wording was. But <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good PA, Jeff. Yeah. We're yeah, going to be right on top of this airplane, so don't freak out. Yeah, no, no, relax, relax, <laughs> chill out. Yeah. It's okay. We it's know what right. we're doing. Smoke the weed. Smoke the weed. <laughs> But uh, apparently that that disappeared from our briefing guide. So I guess maybe somebody <laughs> thought, you know, maybe we shouldn't just point that out. Maybe they'll never know. Well, it. you know what? I know what it is. It used to be back in the day where it, people would actually have their window shades open and be looking out the window. Oh, um, that, yeah. Now nobody does. So, you know, nobody's going right. to notice that we're like right next to another airplane. Wingtip to wingtip. Exactly. Okay. Um, Els Palato is back with us. Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. Has he not got a life? He keeps yeah. writing to us. Is there any other life than <laughs> APG? <laughs> Come on, ah, Nick. Right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I feel like there isn't. Um, all right. Uh, hi, Jeff and crew. Referring to AGP5. Oh, no, he's he's written into the wrong podcast again. Oh, this is meant for Pilot Pie. Air, no, Airplane Geeks podcast. <laughs> okay. Micah, yeah. you can answer this. Uh, maybe Micah, yeah, is Micah, are you in the audience still? Um, maybe you can answer this question. Okay, uh, referring, referring to episode 587 and a few other incidents discussed in other episodes before, it's really disappointing how many pilots are not able or try to keep a mental model of what is happening around them. When underway, I always try to build a picture with the FO of where we are in the mix, whether it be guessing our push sequence, 
and who's pushing before us and could or and who pushing before us could block or delay our movements to figuring out how we slot into the arrival sequence based on the radio chatter backed up with the TCAS display pulling together what aircraft types and weight categories are around us at what levels what speeds what headings give us a chance to adjust our trajectory and configuration uh, to the most likely outcome to nail a CDA, constant descent angle, I guess, and not be caught high and have dirty up quickly. Wait, and CDA, and not be caught high and having to dirty up quickly too, I think. Uh, dirty up quickly with an early gear drop. The Kalita 690 in Cincinnati should have been aware that departures and arrivals were using intersecting runways and thus worth extra vigilance. When I am operating into or out of JFK on the 13s or 22s or uh, Melbourne on 34 and 27 in operation, I listen very carefully to understand who is using the intersecting runway and look to spot them visually or at, or at the least on TCAS before we land or roll. The JetBlue 2826 into JFK, of course, was another case of knowing who and what is around. First, I think that the guys were too quick to initiate the go-around. There were clearly no, there was clearly no urgency from the controller who said cancel the approach before saying go around. This clearly implies there is time available to set up the go-around. Oh, and as an aside, um, I was thinking about this is Jeff speaking uh, that same situation with the JetBlue, and then um, they told them for whatever reason to discontinue the approach. And almost immediately said, go around. I'm thinking in that case, and Nick made the great point that, you know, they were actually a little bit above the go around altitude or the altitude cleared to once they took them off the approach. Um, I'm thinking maybe even not even saying go around might be a good idea for the controllers because, you know, when I think of a go around, as you mentioned as well, when we discussed it, you know, that's usually a situation where you're getting really pretty close to touchdown and go around. You want the power to come into toga power and and get that airplane up, you know, in a vector, a trajectory of going upward and away from the ground. But if you're coming in and they just, think, okay, you know, we can't squeeze you in here. We, for whatever reason, uh, we want you to just ma- basically maintain your altitude and fly this heading. Um, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe they're required to say go around, but I would just say, just disc- discontinue uh, the approach and fly heading so-and-so and maintain 2000 feet. And in fact, I've heard that many, many times, to- well, not many times, but I've heard that a few times in my career where, you know, you you don't hear the word go around and you're, you're not tempted to push that go around button. And uh, I don't know. What do you think about that, Nick? No, I think it's a very good point. Uh, you, you're right. I think in the in some circumstances, if they require you to do a go around, they've got to say go around. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I also have um, been in pre- plenty of situations where, you know, you're encroaching on the guy ahead. So yeah. he's saying uh, cancel the approach. You know, and, and I've had the, the JFK controllers so pretty um, they commonly use this, and then they give you a series of S-turns on the approach to try and generate some distance between mm-hmm. you and the guy ahead before reinitiating your approach clearance so that you can oh. re-intercept the ILS and try and make an approach from wherever disastrous position they've dumped you. <laughs> How does that work? Um, <laughs> does it work out? Does it work out? <laughs> uh, sometimes. <Yeah. laughs> 
Occasionally, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it must be a bit disconcerting for the passengers because you're doing, you're weaving these huge airplanes around, and that was one of my complaints, really. Because um, give it to the little guys that uh, can maneuver like that. Uh, for us big fellows, it was uncomfortable for everybody on board and a bit of a drama for us. They so. don't even know back there. They're they got the window <laughs> shades down. They're playing their video games or watching their stupid movies and on their the yeah, gin and tonic. They don't yes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, they are, Jeff. But uh, you know, you're quite right. Uh, I, I think you're right. If there is time, you just uh, plenty of time, and there's no panic. Just give the guy the instructions you want him to do. Discontinue the approach. Turn left, heading. Blah blah. Yeah. Um, maintain two thousand, and then the guys can just start flying the airplane. Exactly. Um, but uh, closer. Once you're on the on the slope, going down the slope, I think uh, the go around call is probably a requirement. Probably is. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, going back well, to if, if uh, there's an air trafficker listening, oh, we don't, you know, we don't get many because we insult them so much. Well, I wish that but, there was um, some kind of a <laughs> podcast out there where there were air traffic controllers that you know knew oh, this kind of stuff. Yeah, I can't think yes, of any. If only there was someone we could ask that knew what they were talking about. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Going back with uh, Els Palato here, they should have read back the instructions unrushed before the pilot flying checked the altitude set in the window, quickly running the clearance through the uh, BS checker, and then give a mini brief. Those extra 15 seconds, in my experience, make a massive difference in terms of relieving the mental pressure caused by this sporadically flown maneuver, which is coupled with a serious performance kick up the backside, uh, unlike a takeoff, which is normally at reduced thrust, higher weights, expected, and well-briefed. Yeah, you made a good point. Furthermore, I'm disappointed with the tower, as I have done a JFK tower visit and on said visit, I did offer solutions to them on how to reduce the frequent altitude busts on go-arounds. That's what they really love. They love hearing airline pilots tell them how to do their jobs. <laughs> well, yeah, particularly uh, in JFK, where they yeah. have no York, egos whatsoever. Nick never went up there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he continues. One solution I offered was that they used the phrase, in the event of a go-around, left heading 180, climb 2,000 feet, count at least five seconds, and then instruct a go-around thus giving the crew time to absorb the new info and set up without startle and pressure. He does know we're talking about Kennedy, right? (laughs) Okay. Uh, What kind of world are you living in, Els Pilatos? Captain Nick was quite correct. I'll read that again. Captain Nick was quite correct that in the U.S., the, oh, yeah, where's the bell? Do I get a a gold star? You do. Not only that, but you get a... Is this keeping count of these? Uh, yeah, I think somebody's keeping track of it. Um, that in the U.S., mm-hmm. the published missed approaches at busy airports are never flown. Uh, Tracons, uh, terminal area control, and towers will have an LOA, a letter of a letter of ag- agreement, to which the tower will issue a pre-agreed uh, to initial go-around instructions in the event of a go-around actioned by the tower or pilots. A great example of situational awareness was the Ryanair 973 at Venice on the 18th of October last year. Low-vis ops, RVR 300 meters, 1,000 feet. Uh, They were cleared to line up and wait while a controller change occurred in the tower. 
This resulted in the new controller failing to plug in correctly and subsequently resulting in the takeoff clearance and later the go-around clearance to the Iberia on approach not being heard. Okay, he was talking, but no, nobody was hearing him. The Ryanair guy's situational awareness was excellent, and they transmitted to the Iberia, who was passing 1,200 feet on approach, that they were still on the runway and the Iberia needed to go around. Disappointingly, the Iberia crew did not react to the information and continued below 500 feet, forcing the Ryanair crew to start racing to exit the runway. The Iberia carried out the go-around only once the controller resolved the headset issue and instructed a go-around. Wow, that's weird. They weren't just—they weren't listening at all to the other aircraft. No, they just didn't. They just carried on a bit further than was probably sensible before they initiated the go-around. But they. Yeah. They were probably questioning where this transmission had come from. That could or whether be. Whether they ought yeah, to obey the instruction. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. They probably had that discussion. Um, and that you know, also kind of goes back to that issue uh, that we had here in the U.S. at Austin uh, uh, under low vis conditions when uh, the the uh, the Southwest pilot, I think, uh, told the other pilot on approach to go around. Um, anyway. Yeah. We're not going to go over that again. Uh, lack of SA, uh, situational awareness, appears to be an issue on the rise. I agree. And I hope by talking about it will spur other pilots into actively building it rather than letting controllers and automation handle it. Happy days aloft to all else Palato. And that, that reminds me, the lack of SA. Uh, you know, when you see you're walking in the in the airport terminals and concourses and the uh, passengers are just walking around aimlessly and then they stop, you know, and like completely unaware that there are other people in the world around them. And uh, we uh, like to term that, or I've used this term several times, NASA, uh, N-A on the S-A. So in other words, no (laughs) situational awareness, NASA. Yeah. Now, there's some great points there, uh, Els Palato. Uh, well said. Oh, yes. um, See, as he said, Nick was right. He, Nick yeah, was right. yeah. Uh, I particularly like the comment about my correctness. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, no, I, I I also like the idea of uh, if you're going to give a non-standard go-round, which is, you know, de rigueur over in the States, uh, you would be really useful to... Uh, reiterate what it's likely or what it's going to be before you actually give the go around um but uh, better still just amend all the damn plates so that the go around issued on the publications matches what you're actually going to get in the real world because that's what we set up to that's what we brief that's what we study on our approaches so that we know what's likely to happen uh, and why have something completely different uh, when you actually come to the real world? So that is that mismatch between what's on the approach plates and what you actually get that, for me, is the, was the huge annoyance. Uh, so get that fixed. Yeah, How's you that? know, I, I'm not actually sure about... I mean, I, I think I remember having a discussion about this in the past where the, uh, the missed approach you know, the formal missed approach procedure that are on the approach plates that might be different in ICAO world than FAA world are really kind of like um, almost like worst case situations where you've lost radio contact um, and you just fly the approach procedure there, but it may not actually jive with the current 
conditions at the time, and it's almost impossible to come up with a procedure that works flawlessly in every situation. I don't know. Uh, that could be wrong. Maybe that's a good question for us to pose to yeah. the uh, boys yeah. over there at opposing bases. Uh, Indeed. But the, the you can get away with uh, a lot of differences. But the important one is actually the go-around altitude. The altitude you get a level mm. effect because that's what catches you. If you're expecting go-around altitude of, say, 4,000 feet, which was common on the plates for JFK, and in your go-around you're suddenly told it's 2,000 feet, well, when you've got a big aeroplane going up on full toga power uh, to stop it in 2,000 feet, uh, is is sometimes a bit of a trick, yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, it just at least have that the go around altitude uh, corrected to what you're likely to get. Um, Good point. Yeah. Anyway, All right. Uh, that was just one of Nick's pet peeves. Nick's pet peeves. <laughs> Ooh, Nick's pet peeves. Wait, Hank. I could probably do a better job. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see if I can find the pet peeves. Okay. Ooh, Next pet, pet peeves. peeves. No, that doesn't work very well. Um, all right. Uh, number 12, we're going to skip to Nick. And uh, cool. this is from Mark, uh, Mark Z. And uh, he is ah, addressing yes. the Mr. issues Ops. with GPS spoofing. Uh, he says, uh, you have a great show going there with APG, longtime listener, first-time scribbler, especially grateful for your solid focus on incidents and safety, helps trends become clear and gives us as airline pilots excellent understanding of the things that are happening around us. This is such important work, and your analysis is always bang on. Oh, I like this wow. guy. 100%. Yes. Wow. Please keep sending us. Oh, yeah. Hang on. There we go. Um I'm the founder of an organization called Ops Group. We are a group of pilots and dispatchers that work together to keep each other informed of new risks and changes, uh, also known as finding the problems that might put us in jeopardy. You've covered some of our stuff on the show before, mostly around fixing those dastardly NOTAMs. Uh, <laughs> they're the ones that came up the, with the uh, field guide to Yeah, NOTAMs. that was brilliant. Yeah, that was and the uh, video and all that. Yeah, this uh, amazing. Uh, wanted to share a story we just put out yesterday regarding a strange new thing happening, a new type of GPS spoofing leading quickly to complete nav failure. Infects the IRS pretty quickly, and crews have been reduced to asking for ATC vectors as all nav systems on board are out of action. Sounds horrendous and maybe even impossible, but we've had 16 reports now of the same thing in the past week all in the Iraq-Iran region, but it's now clear it can happen anywhere. All of us are surprised that the IRS can be taken out of action in this way. And then he gives us a link to the Ops Group um, article regarding the GPS spoof attacks. Uh, and he says, thanks again, sterling work, critical work. It's very much appreciated by the community. Kind regards, Mark. And by the way, we should also say, on a side, we had some back and forth with Mark. And um, he, uh, the ops group, as you mentioned, is a is a group of pilots and uh, dispatchers and dealing with things going on around the the entire world. 
and uh, it's they're doing just outstanding work. Thank you, Mark, for for all the work uh, of uh, of Ops Group, and I've referred to it quite a bit, and I had a nice discussion with Mark, and uh, he actually was uh, kind enough to make us um, members of the Ops Group um, thing. And uh, so we will now be able to have access to a lot more information um, happenings around the world and hopefully be able to use that information to broadcast it out to you all listening to the show. And maybe that will be something that will be uh, helpful to you and keep you safe out there. Um, so um, thank you, Mark, for, for uh, making uh, giving us the honorary um, uh, lifetime membership of Ops Group. That's uh, very, very uh Good, uh, good stuff. Oh, it's a fantastic source of information, and uh, it's really up to date because uh, you know pilots who are notice something different, dispatchers who realise there's a change in procedures at various airports around the world, um, plus anomalies and flight safety hazards and everything that can affect uh, an airline crew um, are being brought to the attention of all the members, uh, you know, almost, you know, within minutes of them being uh, noticed. So, uh, you know, it's it's a great way to establish. And it's a kind of a backdoor to the formal um, paperwork that often is, is lacking in detail and uh, isn't written in sort of pilot speak, no terms in particular. Yes. So uh, I thought it was brilliant. Um, regarding this GPS spoofing, it, I, I was fascinated by it, uh, and uh, there seemed to be a feeling amongst uh, uh, quite a few pilots who had reported this that their inertial navigation systems were being affected. Um, I I wrote uh, to Mark, and we corresponded a little bit, and I said, I don't think uh, the inertial navigation, says the raw data for the position is being affected, but of course... Um, a navigation, uh, the computerized navigation position that is given to the pilots isn't just the inertial uh, navigation uh, position uh, from their gyros, uh, which is, of course, an independent set of gyros that uh, uh, basically is capable of giving you its position anywhere on the globe and is subject to drift because, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not it's just a reference system and uh it doesn't matter how well they're engineered they will drift a little bit they're corrected uh by various means and the old-fashioned way was to use dme dme arcs or vor dme arcs if you didn't have two dmes to give you uh, an accurate position from your beacons and then if the uh inertial position wasn't exactly there, uh, a bias would be applied to the inertial position uh, and then you would be given an updated position that included that bias saying, well, the inertial might have drifted a few miles off, so I'm going to give you a position that takes that into account. Uh, And as navigation systems have improved and we now have GPS, which is considerably more accurate, um, it's that GPS position that is uh, used to 
give you a, uh, a bias or a correction to your inertial navigation system to give you the actual aircraft position. But the inertial navigation position is always there and available. You don't actually move the, the inertials. Uh, you just apply a bias and then that gives you your um, flight management guidance system yeah, um, position, uh, which is the one we tend to use. Now, if someone spoofs your GPS... Uh, and moves that, uh, obviously they'll build in an error into that bias that's provided, and uh, the aircraft position will appear to move. Now, your inertial navigation system will still be pretty accurate. It'll be within a few miles of where your actual position, but the computerized position, which is looking at your GPS and your inertials and the other inputs and sort of uh, compiling in uh, in um, the computer to uh, average out all those positions and work out where it thinks you are, and that's all done by a computer, um, can be quite badly affected because the GPS is uh, considered by the aircraft systems to be very accurate. So it's uh, high up the ladder of uh, accuracies and uh, it gets a lot of importance, its position is important and therefore uh, gives the aircraft position the bias, uh, you know, is likely to move it more. So if someone drags your GPS away, then the aircraft position is going to move. But always your inertial navigation system is going to be basically where it always thought it was. It's just that, that error uh, factor that's being fed into the computer that has been changed. So uh, if uh, you are can do and you turn off your gps input the aircraft will revert to what it's got left which is either raw inertial uh, and perhaps updated by beacons that are around etc uh, and it's people who perhaps uh, their systems haven't recognized the error that's being fed in they haven't recognized the error and turned off gps or um you know, the, the, perhaps the less sophisticated systems on some aircraft, let me put it that way, um, that uh, have been dragged away. Because uh, I note that not one Airbus has reported an error. It's all uh, other aircraft, in particular exec jets and uh, the smaller, uh, less sophisticated yeah, systems that they might have. is agreeing with you there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah go ahead. So Luca says uh, the recommendation is presently to disable GPS and set the clock to internal uh, INT if spoofing is suspected on the bus. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And what's more, you can do it on the bus. It's not hard to do. Uh, and uh, you can just wind it off. And once you get out of the area and your uh, GPS system has moved back to normal, you can, if, if you want, re-engage it. But... But to have your navigation system completely disabled, I would suggest perhaps is uh, unusual. Uh, most pilots can get around it, notice the problem. Certainly, the Airbus was very good at noticing differences or errors or anomalies in the navigation system. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to skip down to Sam's next one there? Um. Yeah, we can do that. So again, we want to, uh, we'll, we'll have it in the show notes. Uh, we definitely want you all, especially those of you who are flying internationally, 
And uh, I, I think really, especially if you're flying uh, Boeing's Embraer's and uh, some of the Gulfstream jets, the uh, uh, the the global um, the Challengers, uh, Lear forty five Falcons, Global Expresses. Um, apparently that they're, they're being more, um, affected than other, uh, platforms. And as I said, we'll have that in the, uh, in the show notes. So, uh, thanks Mark. Uh, and they're, they have their eyes on it. Even, uh, the FAA has issued, um, a, uh, warning memo to aircraft operators as a result of the situation and warning of increased safety of flight risk to civil aviation operations over there in that part of the world. And uh, I've always thought that, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, I'm a little concerned that I, you know, I understand that everything is shifting to this global um, positioning systems, you know, the GPS systems and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're decommissioning all these ground-based navigational aids. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, like, I think we still need to keep some <laughs> out there maybe, yeah. you know, to, to keep from, you know, this type of thing happening. Because, I mean, what is it really going to take to knock out some of these GPS arrays, um, uh, constellations or whatever out there to uh, completely just render uh, GPS navigation uh, useless. Um, yeah, and it's pretty obvious that um, countries with the know-how can um, spoof uh, mm-hmm. GPS signals. Uh, and so that it becomes a big problem because, uh, you know, so many of our aircraft systems now rely on GPS, uh, and let alone our cars and all the rest of the stuff that, um, you know, we really do need that to be a reliable system. And if it's not as reliable as we think it is, we need to hang on to those older systems because they can be the cross-check you need to see what is happening to your inertial system. Because if you can pull up a, a couple of DMEs and get a, a, a cross-arc and uh, get that position and then compare it, you've got something else to, uh, you know, use to decide which system is going wrong. Yeah. And Super Fred Driver makes the point, as I've been trying to make, VORs are awfully hard to hack, unlike satellites. Yep. Um, And uh, Sam Dawson, um, a uh, frequent uh, live audience member and part of our APG community, also sent in... Uh, the um, uh, or the, sent in some feedback regarding this GPS spoofing as well near Iran and uh, uh, cited another article, um, AINonline.com. And again, I'm not going to read it because it's basically the same thing as the other article and just basically talked about these um, these occurrences and how the whole thing works and how to, on some airplanes it just completely uh, makes your entire navigation system just uh, put, throw its hands up and say, I don't know, you have the airplane, good luck. We're all counting on you. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a serious issue, and hopefully um, aircraft manufacturers are going to do something to harden uh, the systems and, and try to prevent this kind of uh, spoofing attack uh, occurring in the future. But as you said, Nick, I mean, it's probably likely it's going to happen more and more uh, frequently in the future. As uh, yeah, we're in a in a series of evolving 
technologies here because for every counter that we develop, whether we encrypt the signals uh, to a different in a different manner or whatever, um, the people who are trying to create or spoof the GPS. Uh, we'll find a way around that. So it's a matter of being alert and aware of the possibility uh, so that you know, no, no one ever sits there in the cruise and picks their nose and does nothing. Uh, but now we've got another system to uh, keep an eye on whilst you're drifting around these areas of concern. All right. Well, gosh, we we I wish we had a little bit more time. We have some uh, some more great feedback from our audience. Uh, feedback from Rodrigo um, <laughs> Pacheco or Pacheco or uh, I don't know. Send us some audio feedback to tell us how to pronounce that. Uh, Texas and Lashock uh, has some uh, feedback for us. Glaucus. Um, well, you haven't heard from him in a while uh, about uh, a certain BA pilot oh, misbehaving. Oh, we didn't get the snorts coke off top list. No, but that's sh- sh- don't, 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 don't <laughs> spoil it. it. Nobody's um, heard of that yet. Yeah, nobody's heard. Oh, well, this I was just hoping it might be a a, sh- a show title. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll have to save that for the next one. I think. Oh, um, sure Eugene in uh, Germany, particularly uh, after the Brazilian one. Yeah, yeah I know. I know we need a you know our <laughs> audience needs a break from that kind of stuff. I think. Um, and uh, Carl uh, Hude, uh, Hudi uh, has uh, Hud has uh, a, a cute cartoon he wanted to share. Anyway, that and much more. Maybe yours, uh, dear listener. Uh, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. And uh, we always point you to our website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you'll find all kinds of good stuff. And uh, if you want to send us some feedback, you, right now you can take your phone and point it at the screen if you happen to oh, be. I'm good uh, too, man. Yeah, well, no, okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, if you have a. Uh, uh, <laughs> QR code reader on your phone. Everybody has a QR code reader on their phone these days. Um, oh, that's a, and that it's, will. Uh, it, it's open my email. Look app. at that, and it's probably addressed yeah. to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. No, it's uh, escort services. At- <laughs> Somebody hacked my QR code. Darn it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, just uh, fancy an escort. Yeah. Send us some feedback if you don't mind. Feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Also, we are on social media, and uh, that is the, your way to kind of figure out what uh, we're doing and when we're what we're planning as far as uh, show dates and times and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, Captain Nick is going to tell us all about uh, Meta and uh, X and um, oh, indeed, all, all if, kinds if, of if crazy you things. like that infinity symbol and you're there in Meta. Then do a search for Airline Pilot Guy, all one word, and you'll find our Facebook page. And uh, the old Twitter, and now X, uh, we're at APG Crew. And uh, Instagram, uh, which, uh, who's who's bought our meta, Instagram? Meta. It is meta. meta, yeah, I thought so, yeah, which is kind of meta in another way. Uh, APG Crew is uh, where you want to be. And then, of course, we have Hillel's Little Empire. Oh, yeah, the Slack Empire. And I don't know if he's here or not, but let me see. I'm going to turn up the fader. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's in the he's in the bathroom again. Hey, sh- hey, Hillel, can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Uh, you know, it's okay as long as you... No. Go back. Put the towel back on. Put the <laughs> towel on. 
Okay. <laughs> nobody wants to see that. No, nobody, nobody wants to see that. You're right, Liz. All right. Uh, can you please tell us something about Slack? Hello. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right, appreciate it, uh, Hillel. I need a towel. I got shampoo in my eyes. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> wow. He's throw, throw one. Well, he's, he's taking his towel off and, uh, and oh, no. doing it like a Not whip. A so, ow! Ow! Stop! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, again, uh, that's the information about Slack. And uh, let's see. Oh! We can't forget about our lovely producer, Liz. Come on in. Gotta now thank you don't Liz. Forget. I'll never yeah. ever forget. Hi, Liz. I didn't forget Liz. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of getting slapped, that's the, the on my face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ow. It was um, a great show, you guys, and it was great to have our special guests and Nick. Oh, it was, wasn't it? A treat. Yes, it was nice uh, to have our special guests and. Great to have all you in our live audience and uh, you listening now. Uh, we're glad to be in your ears, so to speak. And with that, we're going to bid you adieu and wish you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Yeah, bye, everybody. See you next week. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly over